This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program to give you the tools, the ideas, the insight that you need to grow healthier and happier lives. Welcome to the program. we got a great show for you. Dr. Craig Manning will be joining us. He is Brigham Young University's mental strength coach. He's the guy that basically gets your head in the game. And, uh, in fact, Tanner Mangum, the great kicker that, or the great uh, passer that threw that incredible Hail Mary pass, the rookie freshman quarterback, said Dr. Craig Manning helped him a lot to get his head in that space to be able to handle all of that. So we'll be talking with him. Now, think about that. You get a chance to be with a collegiate mental strength coach. So stick with us. We'll have him on in just a few minutes. But before we go there, holy cow, did you see Colbert, Stephen Colbert? That's way, that's way too late for me. <laughs> no, but see, did that's you the, watch? Yeah, well, I watched it this morning. I was did awake. Did you just DVR'd but, it? I did, yeah, yeah I just, that's but good. You know what's cool? Honestly, he's hilarious. He is funny. And he, he did this whole bit. Remember Trump came out and was against Oreo cookies uh-huh. because of what Nabisco had done or moving their factories to, to Mexico. So he just started eating. Colbert was eating Oreos. <laughs> and he, but he, he said <clears throat> he can't just have one. You can't just have no, one Oreo. No. And it's like Trump. You can't just tell one story. So he just kept telling story after story and just engorging himself with Oreos. It's hilarious. Um, you got to go watch it because um, I you mean, think he, his humor will that work against yeah. all the, against the other guys? Oh yeah, he said he said he is going to cover all of the political candidates, and they had a picture of all of them up there as long as it's Donald Trump. And. Yeah, I think he's he can hardly wait. He's going to shred Donald <laughs> Trump. I think he's going to shred all of them, honestly. Like well, he called he called Trump an Oompa Loompa American, an Oompa Loompa American because they don't know what race he is. Uh-huh. Because he's orange. He is orange. He's taking on Trump. <laughs> you know, but when you have uh George Clooney as your first guest, I yeah. should have been watching. He had Jeb on. I know. Did you see that? Yeah, I oh, did you didn't see that. that. You did you read that? Oh, yeah. The problem is <sighs> you, Jeb, that's an interesting first show yeah. guest to me. Jeb's not real comfortable. Yeah, he's. I mean, but I'd be terrified to be on with Steve Colbert, but Trump, <laughs> he's just not as comfortable as you need to be. Like yeah. Barack's wish- so calm and he's just suave, you know. Uh-huh. And Jeb was just terrified. <laughs> it was sad, but it's interesting. It, I, you know, what's fun for me is that it's something. It's not Letterman. It's different. Right, very different. Right. And honestly, in many ways, it's funnier. Probably mm-hmm. Letterman was kind of dry. Well, they're all kind of the same. So that's why maybe this will this will be fun because he is unique. He's unique, and he he likes to he's he's an actor really. He likes to do some skits, and he's good. It'll be good. It's really good. Oh, hey, did I'm you see? You watched that this morning. Good what's job. going on with Ted Cruz? Oh, he's teaming up with Trump today. <clears throat> I've got a frog in my throat. Yes, you um, do. Ted Cruz, I didn't even know this, but you know the whole Kim Davis thing. She got out of right. jail mm-hmm. yesterday. Well, did you know? Did you know which candidate was there? Mm-hmm. Mike Huckabee. Mike Huckabee except Ted Cruz was there. 
I didn't know that. They I didn't, didn't show him. Huh? Nobody, yeah. He was. They give him the microphone. He was like the the little brother that you just banned, but you're like, sure you can come, but like but don't be seen. <laughs> Mike Huckabee was there, and he captured the spotlight Tuesday at the rally for Kim Davis. But and many don't know this, ten, Senator Ted Cruz was also there. He was there. He just. I guess Mike Huckabee wouldn't let him on stage. I think Mike just grabbed the microphone and went up on the... Mike went for the mic. But basically, they just ostracized the poor Ted Cruz. And so he was on with Huckabee, Mm -hmm. but nobody knew it. And then he'll be on with Trump. With Trump today. And nobody's going to know. Like he's going to get any coverage with Trump, yeah. So he's just... I guess it's smart. He's everywhere he needs Mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. I I didn't know Trump and Cruz were so close. Well, I don't think they are. They're... Cruz is just kind of using Trump's publicity. You think? Get, oh, yeah. And he's using Huckabee. Uh-huh. Man. Maybe Cruz would use us to get on the show here. Yeah, let's try to get him. I'm sure he'd come on. I don't know if we've tried to get any candidate like that. I wanted Ben Carson way back in the day before uh-huh. he be, – now it's impossible. Yeah. He's too big now. They're too big. Yeah. Did you see that uh, the uh, fire, the plane fire? I did. I'm going to be hey, talking about it. Have you ever this. been on an airplane that had a problem like that? No. I would be – actually, I was uh, a flight attendant. You don't know this. For oh, a very my short heavens. period of time. <gasps> uh, and I did learn how to open the windows and the doors. So did I do you? like to sit in the exit row so that I can do that. I know I can do that. I, I, I hope I can do know. that when that happens. You know? We need to use that on the show more. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> can you point with two fingers? I do. I have that down, down very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is I never pay attention to them when I'm on there because I don't figure yet. I already know it. You already know so it. So I don't even pay attention. You know what? I'm a follower, mm-hmm. really. So I figure if we're going down, I'll follow whatever the guy in front of me is doing. <laughs> Uh-oh. No need to I'd just be looking at the flight attendant, not the guy in front of you. Yeah. Because they know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. I was on an airplane that was struck by lightning. Ooh. And it was the loudest thing. And we were, about to, we were about to land, which I find is a critical time. That, very critical. You know? Uh-huh. Yes. I don't know how fast we're going. 200 <laughs> miles an hour. About to land. Struck by lightning. Loudest noise I've ever heard on an airplane. And the, everybody screams. The lady next to me digs her hand, her nails into my arm. She starts doing the rosary, mm-hmm. like full on doing the rosary. Like, I'm dead. And she starts doing the rosary. And our pilot gets on and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We were just struck by lightning. And we're like, yeah. yeah. And he says, Felt it looks it. like all the systems are good. We're going to just circle around and try that landing again. <laughs> oh, Scary. Are you grateful for composed oh, yeah. pilots? I'd, I'd be freaking. Oh, yeah. I always keep my seatbelt on. Do you always keep yours on when you're sitting oh, yeah. down? Yeah. In case a big, you know, they drop or something. Yeah. Have you ever had that? Yeah. What kind of people That's bad. have their seatbelt on? Not good. Totally. Yeah, like totally. in the hair piece, their hair piece lifts up. <laughs> that is, yeah. Planes are uh, scary. I've been on an airplane, too, that did catch on fire. But they just, we're all sitting there watching flames come out of an engine. And they're like, we've got a little problem here. We're just going to have... Were you in the air or were you on the tarmac? We were on the... We were about to take off. Wow. And we waited and the fire department came out. So we're circled around with fire trucks and we're just sitting there. Everything's fine, folks. Just sit still. We'll... We're just going to have the fire department check out we'll those flame things coming out. out of the engine. Then Don't we'll take off. That. And they always... After. They speak so calm. Certainly you got off the plane and went onto a different plane. Yes. We're just going to now taxi back to the... <laughs> we're going to go back to... What do they call it? To the... The gate. The gate. And we're just going to just have you disembark mm-hmm. there. 
Let's Nothing try this to worry again. about, folks. Let's, uh, there is the smell of burning flesh. Do not worry about that, <laughs> folks. That's just flesh burning. Do not worry it about. always makes me nervous, though, when you see people in the exit row that you just are quite certain will not have that capability of opening that window. <laughs> You're like, we're dead. We're dead. No one's getting by that old lady. <laughs> she And she committed. She committed. She said she yeah. could do it. That's why you always got to sure. look. Life. <laughs> look him in or the, the eye. Or a really heavy person that you just think, I'm not sure if yeah. that person's going to be able to get through You shouldn't be there. sitting there, yeah, yo. Yeah, I'm thinking you should oh, not so be there. sad. So sad, but so true. Well, oh. that's uh, that's crazy talk. Let's go to the headlines, find out what else is going on with Kathy. Okay, good morning, everyone. Hillary Clinton has finally apologized for the private email server she used during her time as Secretary of State and the controversy it has caused. In an interview with ABC News last night, the Democratic presidential frontrunner said this. That was a mistake. I'm sorry about that. I take responsibility. Uh, and I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. The apology comes months after Clinton refused to apologize, saying what she did was allowed and none of the emails were classified. However, a New York Times report this week claims two emails received on that server were marked top secret at the time she received them. President Obama now has 41 Democrats on board with the Iran nuclear deal. That's enough to block passage of a Republican disapproval resolution. Meanwhile, today, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump will appear together at a Capitol Hill rally to protest the proposed nuclear agreement. Cruz said with Trump's media following, having him at the same event would bring more attention to what he calls a catastrophic deal. A British Airlines jet caught fire as an engine failed just before takeoff from Las Vegas yesterday. The fire triggered an emergency evacuation on the runway. 159 people were on board. 20 of those had to be rushed to the hospital. The flight was headed for London. Kim Davis was released from jail yesterday after five days for defying a court order to issue same-sex marriage licenses in Kentucky. She was greeted by Christian supporters who had been rallying outside the jail for several days. Davis's lawyer Matt Staver said the court has not address the issue. The court order did not resolve the underlying issue, and that issue is Kim Davis has asked for a very simple accommodation. Remove her name and her authority from the marriage certificates. Staver says Davis will continue to resist issuing the licenses until officials find some way to accommodate her religious opposition to gay marriage. Baltimore officials say they've agreed to a $6.4 million wrongful death settlement in the death of Freddie Gray. Gray died while in police custody back in April. Baltimore's Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake said the proposed settlement should not be interpreted as a judgment of guilt or innocence of the officers on trial. The agreement needs to be approved by the city's Board of Estimates, which will vote on that today. Serena Williams beat sister Venus at the U.S. Open quarterfinals last night in New York, beating her in three sets. Holding serve, I think, in the third set was all I could do. She came out hitting so hard, um, just blasting every shot. I was on defense a lot so because she has so much power, and um, it was just, it wasn't really easy today at all. Serena is trying to become the first woman to win the Grand Slam since Steffi Groff. One of the coaches from John Jay High School where two players ran down a referee during a game last week has been placed on paid leave during an investigation of his possible involvement. Assistant coach Mac Breed allegedly told the team after two players had already been ejected from the game, quote, that guy needs to pay for cheating us, unquote. The video on YouTube has had over 7 million views. And today, Matt, Queen Elizabeth II becomes mm. the longest-serving monarch in British history. She's surpassing her great-great-grandmother, Victoria. Her wow. record of 63 years, 7 months, and 2 days. So here's a few facts yeah. about Queen Elizabeth. You ready? Yep. When she married Prince Philip in November of 1947, she had to pay for her wedding dress with ration coupons oh. because of post-World War II shortages. Yeah. Her British monarchy faced 
Facebook page has more than 2 million likes. And the Queen celebrates her birthday twice a year. Her actual birthday is April 21st, but she also has a second official birthday, usually the second Saturday in June, so she can celebrate with her subjects when the British weather is warmer. (laughs) She gets two birthdays? I love that, her subjects. I like that. I need to use that more. You do? Do you like the royalty? Um, that's weird. I think it's weird. I do too. Uh, well, I yeah. think it's really weird when they're like off with their head. <laughs> that is and so they just weird. Have when your, they say that. have you beheaded? That just bugs me. <laughs> that bugs me. Too. People can still have you beheaded. And their wave, you know, you just have, you look at, you gotta have that wave. Seriously, that parade wave. It reminds me of kind of uh, Kim Jong Un that everyone thinks is a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, but we weird. know they're not. Yeah, they're just people. They're just people. Yeah. They're quirky. Hold on. Listen, subject. My subject, Ben. <laughs> I have one subject. It's Ben. <laughs> Don't let the power get to your I know. This is powerful. Well, thanks, Kathy. Well done. More uh, headlines. And, you know, every hour we do the headlines. Find out what's going on in your world. Coming up after this break, Dr. Craig Manning, uh, a great uh, guest of the show. He's been on many times we love him. He is truly the true blue mental guru that uh, all of us need. He's BYU sports athletics uh, program, by the way. He's their mental stability and um, strength coach. He's amazing. He's here to teach us about your mind and how to create the fearless mind, which is a book he wrote. He's also going to talk a little bit. Uh, we're going to ask him about Tanner Mangum, the, that, that freshman quarterback that threw the Hail Mary pass. We're going to get everything we can out of Craig Manning in the next uh, two or three blocks. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, after BYU's incredible last-second win over Nebraska Saturday, all eyes were on the backup quarterback freshman Tanner Mangum. But the 22-year-old new-sung hero of BYU football credits his impressive 42-yard miracle play. He gives a lot of the credit to our next guest. Uh, Dr. Craig Manning joins us. He's the guru of positive thought and mental stability, according to the papers, Craig. That's what they're calling you. And uh, Dr. Craig Manning works with uh, um, the entire uh, athletic program here at BYU, um, along with other professional athletes around the country. He is the author of the book, The Fearless Mind. You can find it at thefearlessmind.com. Craig, thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. You're a busy man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fun, though. It's good. What are you thinking Saturday when you see Tanner go in the game? And you've worked with Tanner. You've sat down with Tanner. You know Tanner. And you, you see he's in kind of the most pressure-filled situation you could probably be in as a quarterback. Yeah, first, I, didn't, I, don't, I haven't even read what he said. I don't he, even, is exactly I don't know if he He just gave that. you a lot of credit to his performance. Really? Yep. Huh. As yeah. many Cougar athletes do. He, uh, he's amazing. Yeah, going down to the wire there, I'm thinking, just stay focused on the task. Stay focused on what you need to do right <laughs> here. And just keep your mind dialed in on, on your cues and what you need to do. And, and it seemed like he executed exactly what Coach and I wanted him to execute. And Mitch Matthews and Nick and oh. Taryn executed what they needed to do. And, yeah. You know, good things happen when guys execute their cues and what they're supposed to do. And luckily, Nebraska didn't uh, execute 
uh, as a team. Right. And, and I think that's how good things happen when you focus on the right things and you do what uh, – do what your coaches want I guess you that's to do, the difference, you know? huh? Is yeah. I mean, there's only some of it's, I guess, a little luck, a little timing, but a lot of it is just you got to believe. Huge. I mean, yeah, that deep belief in yourself. Uh, you cannot have any doubts at that point. You oh. cannot let if you let any doubts in your mind at that point, you, you're going to panic and you're going to rush and, and you won't execute the things you need to execute. And yeah, I love I love working with college athletes because they're still psychologically you know developing. They're yeah. still maturing and and a football game oscillates backwards and forwards multiple times, often because we psychologically cannot stay focused on right. the right things and we lose it and then we regain it then we lose it and and man that's why I don't have any hair you know working <laughs> even pulling your hair out Greg. no but I love it it's so much fun working with these young guys and especially you know Taysom Hill is just oh. the, the same levels uh, incredibly good mentally and and Tanner is you know the next version of that yeah. you know there you know you're going to need to go meet with Taysom I'm sure just to <laughs> I mean he's, he's a tough dude but this is he's now out for the year yeah, the guy is Superman. Seriously, is he? he's amazing. But uh, his his family and his wife is oh, amazing. We've had Emily on the show. We've talked to Emily Hill. Really? Yeah. yeah. He's one of those guys that just grows up and, and learns some of these things. And in my field, we call them unconsciously competent. They're really good. They they acquire these psychological skills, and it propels them, and they continue to develop. And, and sometimes they don't realize the skills that they're learning, or at least that's what I've spent most of my life doing is trying to identify these psychological patterns or, or psychological skills or traits, if you want to call it that. And it's amazing how um, we're able to identify and then take those skills and, and teach others and, and thereby accelerate their development. And, yeah. And so it's it's fun watching him, both of them. Yeah. Is um, do you see a difference? Because Tanner Mangum, three months ago, 90-something days ago, was on an LDS mission, yeah. not even thinking football. Right. So then they, a lot of these BYU players have done that. Do, I assume they come back with a level of maturity, mm-hmm. but is it is it mental strength they come back with, or are they still kind of a little fatty uh, <laughs> mentally? And, and does that give these some of these kids a maturity level that you don't see in a regular freshman? Yeah, I think so. But I honestly think it it depends on the individual and how they handle does the it. Mission. Yeah, I think it's if you go in with an attitude of just trying to get through it and just you know get tick back everything, to football. Yeah, yeah, tick everything off the tick the checklist, and you're not really working hard to develop good habits while you're out there. I don't know if it really is going to help that yeah. much. Maybe a little bit because there's a lot of adversity you deal with. But but I think that's the key. Is I think it's do. Have you learned the skills to deal with adversity? And how you deal with adversity is is going to impact all your areas of your life. Mm. But, but in this situation for Tanner, he, I'm assuming he had a good attitude and a good mindset while he's out there yeah. learned some really good skills. And he came back, and, and I'm sure he learned some of these in his childhood as well. And, and he just came back and, and is very malleable, you know, very yeah. teachable and just soaks it up and wants to learn and, and – uh, he embraced a couple of fundamental skills that uh, I think are crucial, and and he was saying them to me on the sidelines while he's warming up. And was he really? Yeah, he's going over his power statement to make sure there was no doubt and no no interference in his mind. And I thought he did a good job. I thought that was a tough situation. That is amazing. So before, with all of the athletes, I guess you go in and you help them create their own power statement, their own mm-hmm. their yeah, own approach exactly. to to have the fearless mind. Yep. 
help them to own their own conscious mind, own their own thoughts, and and really take command of their body and really weed out the interference that uh, uh, causes doubt and causes us worrying about others and and, uh, making sure that we're creating the right habits. Yeah. You could see he was... He was giddy, not just because he succeeded, but yeah. like that was fun for him. In front of 90,000 people, he was having fun. The thing like, I'd be terrified. Me, as he's going out on the field, I was watching him closely and, and chatted with him a couple of times. And he, uh, yes, he was looking forward. He, it was an opportunity to him. Yeah. He didn't look at it as a threat and he didn't look at it as a holy cow, this is, this is Nebraska. <laughs> this is, yeah. He was looking at it as, man, this is Nebraska. This is awesome. <laughs> Get me in there. I want, I want to see what I can do. And it's crazy. Yeah, it's that, cool. it takes a long time to try and train that mindset right. a lot of other people, but he, he was pretty quick. But you do it with, I mean, you have, we won't get into names or anything, but you've trained, you're training Wimbledon athletes. You're training, you were yourself a professional tennis player. You were a tennis coach. Yeah. You've, you've seen it everywhere. And I guess these all, everything that we learn about managing our mind and our fears it's universal. It's applicable to everything. It's not just a pro sport thing, right? Yeah, the mind is the mind. I don't know anything about uh, uh, music, for example, but yet I'm working with some singer-songwriters in, in, uh, in Nashville and a concert pianist, and, and I don't know anything about music, <laughs> but, but the mind is the mind. If your mind's not focused on the right things, if you're allowing the wrong things in, it's going to impact your performance in any area. So, yes, athletics, all sorts of sports, business, and and. And even music and even some non, you know, just everyday life. It's yeah. amazing if you can get your mind right. There is always an increase in human performance every time. So It's so cool. Yeah, okay, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Craig Manning. He is uh, the mental performance coach. Is that what they call you? For like, BYU yeah, Ath- mental strength coach. Mental yeah. strength coach for BYU Athletics and everyone else in the world. <laughs> and he's going to be giving us some of his keys, his insights From his book, uh, The Fearless Mind, you can find that at thefearlessmind.com. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. More with Dr. Craig Manning right here on The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, got a great guest. Dr. Craig Manning's joining us from the website. If you can go, you can go to the Fearless Mind, um, it's just it's the real deal, folks. A true mental strength coach, somebody that can take you, and apparently from about 90th in on the tennis tour in the world to 29th. Dr. Craig Manning, welcome back, my friend. Thanks. Also, BYU's strength coach as well. Yeah. (laughs) Busy man and a husband. Hello. And a father and just a ruggedly good-looking gentleman. (laughs) But, Craig, talk to me about your your Wimbledon client. Yeah, I've just been working with uh, Barbara Lepchenko for a couple of years, and and she talks about this openly all the time. But uh, – and I was using the, the satellite program that I have, just the, the resource center, to, to help her and give her the tools. And she was 
I, she'd call me up and I'd get help her get in the right mindset and she'd do well and then she would drop off because we forget things, yeah. you know, and just for a year, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And after a year, I said, look, you're not doing what I want you to do. I, I don't want to do this anymore. You're firing her. Basically. Yeah, I was like, yeah, this is not, <laughs> this is not helping. This is not good for you. It's not good for me. And she's like, no, 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 I, I'll do what you ask me to do. And I said, you need to use the app. You need to use the resource center every day for a month and then we'll talk about any more work. And she did. And she was 92 in the world, and she got hot and, and got to 23 in the Holy world in cow. four months. 23. Yeah, like $300,000 more in the bank. And, and so she was really bought in, and she was doing well, and she kept asking me to travel with her on the tour. And I kept saying, I can't. I'm busy. I, I've got a job here. I'm sorry, not really don't have the time for that. And then she asked me in early in June, which happens to be a slower time here. Yeah. And she said, well, how about Wimbledon? I was like, oh, man. Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> you're a tennis player. You know how powerful that is. Yeah. So I couldn't turn down that one. I made some arrangements and got over there for a week during the slowest time during July 4th Amazing. week. Amazing. Unbelievable. One How'd the, she do? She, she lost in the first round, but she played really well. She lost to a girl that got all the way to the final. Um, she almost had chances against her, too. So it was interesting. The, yeah, first week trying to get her really focused and dialed in, and it was just in person. It's so much um, more potent yeah. you know, online. But you um, told me you're sitting there on the court watching Serena play. Yeah. So after that, I I did some work with her here during the summer. I went to Stanford for a few days, and she started. She did great. Got to semifinals, beat number four girl in the world. Wow. Um, then did well at Cincinnati, and she's been. She didn't w- do great in the first Wimbledon. She played well, but you don't always have control of the outcome. But she kept doing the right things, and the outcomes took care of itself, mm-hmm. and she was killing it the whole summer. And then she asked me to go to the U.S. Open, and I said, I can't. I got Nebraska. Yeah, big got game coming up. Got to get a guy ready for a Hail yeah, Mary. That, that, that's my priority. And so um, I told her I couldn't come, but she convinced me to, to take a red eye and come over just for a couple of days. Yeah. And, I got there, and we get, she picks me up at the airport at 7 a.m., <laughs> goes straight to Flushing Meadows. We get credentials, securities, and we go on the court to warm up, and, and we stop about 45 minutes into it. I'm like, what are we doing? She's like, we're going over to Arthur Ashe Stadium. I'm like, uh, you're not seated. Who, who, does, who are you hitting with? Yeah. I'm like, are you hitting with Serena? She's like, yeah. So we are head over kidding? to Arthur Ashe Stadium. We walk on the court. Serena's already on the court. This is 9 o'clock. As soon as we walk on, she kind of gives me the look of who, who, who are you? Who are you? You know, <laughs> um, I get my little black book out and I start doing my research. I want to learn because she's probably going to be one of the great, the greatest yeah. of all time. So I'm start paying attention to everything. Unbelievable! Every single drill, everything she did had a direct purpose. Everything was directed towards specific skills. Really? No points, no matches. So after we we leave, and I'm like, I'm like V. You didn't play any points. You didn't. You didn't warm up your serve. She's like, "Oh no, Serena never plays points in practice. Never plays practice matches." I'm like, "What? That's unheard of. No one does that." Interesting. Then she says, "Also, she doesn't hit with anyone but her practice partner, her sister, and me." I'm like, "Why is that?" She's like, "I don't know. We just get along well. I don't know." So take this is potentially the greatest female tennis player of all time, right? But yet she does it different than everyone else. You would think everyone would model her and watch her and learn yeah, exactly. from her, but they don't. They Nobody. just keep they just keep doing how it's always been done. Where Serena is just her training is so well planned for what she needs to achieve her goals. Unbelievably efficient. It was so fun to to learn from the best. But that's the mentality. It seems like is you you went there to learn. 
Uh-huh. Like I would have just sat there in awe <laughs> and just soaked it all in. But you're like you're actually learning from what Serena's doing. Yeah, I can't switch it off. But I'm trying. I'm walking around the court trying not to step on her little dog. That <laughs> there's a little chihuahua. Thinking, Man, that's not going to be good if I step on. <laughs> you kill Serena's dog. <laughs> she falls into is, a funk. It's really obedient dog, but it's like coming around sniffing me. And oh and, my heavens, yeah, it was. It, it was fun. For now me, Serena's in the quarterfinals or the semifinals. Yeah, she just beat her sister. Yeah. That's big. And if she wins this, she's sweeped all four, right? All four Grand Slams in one year, five in a row. Uh, I think she ties Steffi Graf. If I, yeah, you know, I think she's on track. She's she's wow. a phenomenal athlete. Well, what do we what do we do? I mean, so if if I'm just the average Joe, non tennis player, but I got to go to a call center and get my calls done. <laughs> What do I do is just the, as a regular guy to keep my head in the game? You know, I just – I know it's so fundamental and all the people that I work with will get sick of me saying this. But you got to have a can-do mindset. you got to have your mind focused on what you're going to do, what you need to do, what, what's, what you can do instead of all the things of don't do this, don't oh, do yeah. that, don't do this. And, and live your life – approaching life, moving towards life, creating life, not just spiraling around in, you know, banging against the walls and and just doing what you've always done. It's, you know, really fully embracing life and being deliberate with life. And I feel like largely psychological, psychologically being engaged in life, not Mm. just a mindless. Here's an example after at Wimbledon, you know, I spent one hour on the court with Barbara to help her to get ready. And then the next day, Monday, uh, no, a couple of days later, uh, first day, uh, she ends up having not playing on Monday. She played on Tuesday. And so I'm on the court with her again in 15 minutes in the warm-up. Novak Djokovic is right next door. Mm. Federer is down the road. I was having the hardest time <laughs> focusing on my client. Yeah, I just sure. kept watching these other guys. And then she walks over 15 minutes in, and she says this to me. She says, man, I, I just can't believe I've been for the last two decades beating the living snot out of my body, mindlessly th- thinking that I'm somehow going to get better. And he said, she said, I cannot believe how powerful it is to get myself dialed in on these things and how much more efficient and how oh, yeah. much quicker. I think that's it. We, we sometimes just kind of mindlessly go about our lives with the hope that something's going to happen, waiting for it yeah. to happen, instead of psychologically engaging and, and, and thinking through of what skills do I need to get where I want to go. And, and that's what Serena does. What skills do I need to develop? to create good habits to achieve what I want. I guess, and it's almost like you don't even need all the skills. Serena only has an hour to warm up or whatever, or practice, so she's just going to go to the one skill she needs, and she's just going to drill those. Two to three skills. Not mess around with a little mini match. Yep, she was working on a short angle foin. That's what she worked on the whole practice. And they'd hit, hit, and she'd hit the short angle foin. Three, four balls, she's not... Out there killing her body. She's getting her mind right, getting That's, her mind dialed And getting in. the feel down. And yeah. She's in great shape. Yeah. She doesn't need to. She's just trying to get her mind dialed in on the right things and, and pick up her cues. And and uh, she's not trying to. <laughs> but it's interesting that we do tend to, it seems like we think the workout, the the physical or the tangible are always more important than the mental or the spiritual even. Yeah. I, I Yep. Humans. That's what I used to do. Well, I think we all do. Like, yeah. I got to get the degree, but the degree's got to matter to in your mind, and a, a degree doesn't necessarily give you confidence. Yeah, have my teach teach my class here on Tuesday nights, and second class into the semester, I got after him a little bit last night. Felt a little bad for my class, but I'm passionate about it, and I hit them hard with is exactly that. Just you know, really 
if you want something, really be mindful and and think through it and, and focus on what you really want and really full on commit to that and and always be conscious of what you want to be uh, in your mind, what you're focusing on, so that you can progress and move in that direction. Yeah, and not just go through the motion. What What is the fear? In the fearless mind, the book you wrote is called "The Fearless Mind." Mm-hmm. Is there is there a is it what is the fear? And so, I guess it's different for everyone, but why is it there? Yeah, I think here's a formula that I've I've lived by for a while now. We all have potential. All of us, every human being, has potential for something. Right. Not for everything. For something. One of the skills in high performance is learning how to channel your potential. You don't have potential for everything, so you got to figure out what you love the most. And you've got to be able to channel your energies around you. And, and there's a deep science to that. And yeah. that can go really deep. So there's no ceilings to, your, to, your, to this life. Then you've got to train the right way. Practice a potential plus training. But we got to, practice does not make perfect. Right. The most erroneous belief of the human race. Practice makes permanence. We've got to practice the right things. And if we do that, we can accelerate the development rapidly. But then the biggest part, so potential plus training minus interference. We got to keep the things out of our mind that interfere with our progression, so that we can keep learning. And that interference is is broad, but it starts with self doubt. I think yeah. bar none, number one source of interference is self doubt. Number two is creating the neg- negative habits, negative muscle memory that so many of us create, and we don't even realize because we're not mindful of that. Number three is worrying about everyone else. Oh, yeah. What are they doing on yeah. the other court? And it just – the list goes on. But those are three there. The, the next one is being, you know, I call it mind, mindless practice where we're coasting, we're procrastinating. The opposite is being deliberate. Um, I mean that's the fourth source of interference, that coasting. And then the list goes on. The, the next one, ego, big ego. Oh. That's massive. Yeah. Motivated by your ego. And then, and then the next one is having too much fear and guilt. Your minds bounce into the past and bounce into the future, and we have a funny name for it in today's day and age. We call it ADD or ADHD, yeah, right. which research is showing most of that is not genetic; it's learned. Yeah, and the list just keeps going down of the interference. But what I've been, spent my life doing is what are the skills that counteract the interference, and focus on the skill development. As you focus on the skill development, that we're not treating the symptoms. Yeah, it's amazing what the human being can do, the potential. And, the, and when you put the effort channeled in the right direction, it's unbelievable what the human being can do when you get rid of the interference. Aren't um, – have you seen – I think we've talked about this, the video. It's – because I could worry about, oh, my elbow, my elbow. I can't, I can't hit the ball. I can't hit the ball. But just focusing on the ball, a lot of times my body will do automatically what I need it to do. That's, I guess, the muscle memory if I've trained it right, right? Yeah, if you trained it right, you just got to basically get your mind out of the way so yeah. you can let that come out. You know, the, the muscle memory is in your subconscious, but we sometimes cl- clutter that gateway um, or even block that gateway and we don't allow all of these skills. You think about this. This is what I do you know, several days a week in the athletic world. We spend all of this time and all of this money to acquire a habit, a muscle memory. Right. Then we don't trust it and use it game day. Yeah. Why put it in in the first place? Yeah. Why practice at all? Practice is one reason for practice, and that is to acquire the right muscle memory. Why practice at all if you don't use it when it's when it's it matters? So true. Why not just go and play golf and never practice, or go and play tennis? But then our mind practice? could override the entire thing. Just, I mean, just showing up at Nebraska Stadium, 
Uh-huh. 90,000 strong. Just that could just override your yeah, entire you week of in. practice. You let doubt in, it shuts. It, you've completely blocked off. We call it choking. You're not pulling out your memories. Music has a, The music industry has a better name for it. They don't call it choking. They call it a memory slip. Oh, which interesting. I love because yeah. when you're choking, what's really happening is you've forgotten all of the skills you've acquired. Yeah, because you're not tapping into them. And you're, I guess, you're just performing. Not a, you're not just mindful. You're not just allowing the subconscious to roll. Yeah, you're now, my yeah, you're you're sliding. Yeah, and it's no different in sales or any area. Once you allow that doubt in, all of the experience you had, we call it the muscle memory is your life experience. All that experience, everything you have, you're not tapping into. Yeah. Hence, that's why some they say so many people only use ten percent of their mind that's because so they true. don't trust themselves. So they're only using the ten percent of their conscious mind, and the ninety percent is laying dormant. And don't you? I mean, honestly, don't you think? That's an exaggeration because I'm sure most of us don't even use 10 percent of our mind. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean some of us – like, the guy I negative. was driving behind today was not using at least even 10 yeah, percent. What um, – Craig, what – if we had to like think of one or two things that – if you had to – if you could only teach somebody two things. Mm-hmm. That's it? That's two it. Things. You got two things but you think they're the two things that might pull 80 percent of – the yeah. change. The two fundamental skills, can-do mindset, number one, believing. I mean, to me, that's faith. We talk about faith, but so many people don't know how to do faith. It's Faith is a word to them. To me, faith is can-do mindset, always having a mindset of what are you doing. That's being proactive. It's being you know, um, creative, positive. So can-do mindset, number one, trying to change your mind to, instead of always saying don't do this, don't do that, to change it to I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Instead of saying don't hit it in the water, I'm going to hit it down the fairway. Number, yeah, That's number one. Number two is at the end of each day looking and evaluating what worked. You think about a doctor. If you diagnose the problem wrong, if you misdiagnose, what does that do in your life? Oh, You don't progress. No. You're stuck. Yeah. And same thing in it with us. We don't always diagnose the problem right or, or the situation. We look at what's wrong instead of first look at what you're doing well first. But you're not even and you're not saying be positive. You're saying, look, something worked in the, every practice. Mm-hmm. Figure it Make out. Make sure you know what that was. See, that's the key is if you're psych if you do that now, psychologically you're gonna continue to progress. Yeah. But if you're always looking at what you did wrong, Psychological progression stops. You become stagnant, and you're just spiraling. Right. Well, you create a memory. You create the muscle memory you is what you do wrong because you've spent all your energy there. It's that simple. So the first skill can do mindset. Second skill is the three to one. Three things that worked for you at the end of each day. One thing you can do better, and that's reinforcing the right muscle memory in your subconscious, hmm. and thereby you're tapping into all 100 percent of your mental potential i mean everybody at night could sit down and think okay what are the three things super hard to do but it's so simple but it's funny because it's a discipline well i guess or you could also go run three miles right so it's funny because guys will go run three miles every night or before they go to bed or whatever but they won't exercise the same discipline to think about what worked today i was talking to these kids in this my class last night we we will take massive notes in a class and then we'll rewrite write those notes onto another piece of note and then we start, put them onto cards and we do all this physical labor <laughs> and then we go to the testing center and we don't remember it. No. The whole point is getting it in your head. 
get it in your head and you keep we keep writing and we think we're we're really we're we're working hard we're just being busy right right but we're not if we actually were mindful and aware and we could get it in our heads quicker why write all these notes all that matters (laughs) is getting in your head yeah so how do and what's the best way that you can get it in your head today so the mind there's something about the three if you can repeat it if you go over it if you can really be present while you're reading something yeah you can get it in your head quickly. Teach it to someone else. Yep. That's a fast way. I mean, I guess that's the key, though, is at the end of every day, you're going to find three, and then you're going to find one that you need to do better. Yep. We tend to think of one I did well and three I've got to work on. Yep. And then you're overwhelmed and you don't get anywhere. Three things you did well, one thing yeah. that you can improve on. And that one thing you can improve on may be really a, really a strength, but you want to make it even better. But that's the way it purges it purges you of any impurities it gets rid of the dross, yeah, and it purges, and you it filters and keeps the good and lets go of the things that aren't helping you, yeah. So progression will be rapid. So this isn't like magic. <laughs> this no. is just this is science, really, in psychology. Fundamental, universal skills that apply to every human being. And then, really quick, we got about another minute or two. Talk about the. Like a power word. I know you've talked about power statements. Power yeah. statements on the show. Because neg- positive and ne- this is the affect part. Positive and negative energy cannot coexist. This is the emotional and, and, uh, energy. Emotion is energy, and so when you have negative energy, you're going to have negative thoughts and your spiral. Um, so positive and negative cannot coexist. So I like all my clients to have a power statement so they can bring that positive energy right up to squeeze out the negative whenever they need it. So especially with athletics, but also in music and business, when when you're in a high pressure situation, you've got to own that space because yeah. if you allow the doubt in, you're toast. So if I'm walking up uh, to speak, you know, wherever I go and speak, you know, if I'm walking up, there's always going to be some nerves. If I allow those nerves in, that's normal, but it's not going to help me perform. Right. So I have a power statement. Mine is, I got this. And so I'll I say it this. loud yeah. and strong in my head. I got this. And as I say that, that doesn't allow any other negative interference to get in. That's now cool. I'm in control of my mind and I can retrieve all of that information and knowledge I've learned and, and prepared, and I, I don't need and knowledge. And trust it, yeah. I, can, I got it in my head, and I trust myself. And that. so that's what Tanner Mangum was doing on the sideline yeah, when you walked up there. one, yeah. <laughs> I got so there's this. the secret there, but that was his, he took the same power statement, but everybody has, you know. A I, different I can, one. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple on the team I love. One of them, he's like, I'm a beast. And man, <laughs> this guy is a beast. He, he's he? a physical specimen, and I love He's awesome. Another one is I'm a bowler. Another one is I'm a freak. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I love those cues because they're they're not saying I'm better than somebody else. It's just who trying to embrace who they are yeah. in a critical moment so that they that's can so cool. So they can own the space and not be acted upon. They're acting instead of being acted upon in that critical yeah. moment and be able to perform. And that immediately cr- cr- changes the energy yep. to something that is yours that you own. Yeah, man. Yep. Dr. Craig Manning, you the man. Uh, Ben's Ben's is who's your daddy, but that doesn't seem like a power statement. He's always like, "Who's your daddy?" <laughs> hey, it helps me. Oh, so. sorry, That's ben. good. Yeah. Ben's really hot. Um, good job, Craig. Keep up the great work. Holy cow, you're changing the world. Oh, thanks. Same with and you. And they can go to your website, The Fearless Mind. Where's your app? Do you have an app then? The app is is synced to the website. Okay. Yeah, thefearlessmind.com, and then there's an app there. With these tools that I use with my uh, athletes and business clients and musicians, and it's pretty simple, and it just helps. And it's them. affordable, really. It's not. I mean, to have an expert at your level for <laughs> very little is is pretty awesome, Dill. 
Yeah, and it's it, it, this skill is a cognitive structured journal, so it helps to accelerate the skill development we're talking about rapidly. Yeah. So if we, you demand. simple and easy. Yeah. You got it. You got that. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You got that. <laughs> Dr. Craig Manning, go check out his website, thefearlessmind.com. Uh, really, man, amazing, amazing insight. Um, and it's working. <laughs> You're seeing it work in sports. But uh, go try it out. Go just try out a few of the things he's taught us. Simply the can-do mindset and figure out what worked. Three things that worked, one thing we need to work on. Great insight, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Are you kidding me? Welcome back, everybody. Craig Manning. I'm telling you. It's so funny because a lot of these troubles that we're all facing... They're probably just performance issues. And yet we convolute it with all of this psycho babble and, ah, if we could just simply start to see everything as a skill that could be accumulated, acquired, improved upon, mastered, then all of a sudden we work on it and we learn. We learn to combat the issue. And Dr. Craig Manning does it every day. And it's, you know, I think we just think it's something, well, sure, yeah, high-performance people can do that. But what keeps, I guess, the low-performance people where they are is it's not just a trait. It's your pattern. It's your habit. It's what you end up doing and thinking every day about what you're doing and thinking every day. How do you handle that? That is really the difference between a mental strength and I think about it. Who of us ever gets the, the chance to sit down and truly strengthen our abilities, our mental strength with a real full-fledged expert on it? It's pretty rare. So go check out that website and, and the book, uh, The Fearless Mind. Really, uh, Dr. Craig Manning, you're seeing it. But, I mean, he was off air. We were even talking about how this may apply so much more just in personal life overcoming some of our own bad habits. It might be the fastest way. I mean, we could go in and and talk about it and and have therapy about an addiction. We also could go in and just start maybe implementing some of his other tools. Basic ideas like a can-do attitude. And even if the can-do attitude has to be, you know, lifted and bolstered with a power statement regularly. Well, a power statement, that's just psychobabble. Well, apparently not. Moved a tennis player in the most competitive league ever from 90th to 23rd. Just went to the fourth round of the U.S. Open. Eh, Seems to be working. Seems to be. The person that warms up, Serena Williams, it's a big deal. Craig Manning, great guy. Well, we're going to wrap up this first hour, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Top of the morning to you. Holy cow. Happy, wonderful weirdos day. The day of the weirdo and the wonderful weirdos. Oh, that one you had to have made up. No. no. really? Nothing's quite as dull as being normal, boring, or average. Today we celebrate the weird and the weirdos in your life on Wonderful Weirdos Day. You know, my kids had one of the best teachers in elementary school, and her, her motto was, if you're not weird, you're no fun at all. And I thought, <laughs> oh, that's, that's so great. You know, everybody's different. That's, everybody's unique. That's she right. She was the best teacher my and kids weird. Have ever had. Yep. You can be weird. You can be weird. Nothing if wrong not, with that. You're not having any fun. Hey, uh, if you're if you're keeping score, uh, San Francisco is. And if you're in search for an island, San Francisco's only privately held island gets a massive uh, price cut. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Red Rock Island. I've never even seen this island. Actually, I think I have seen the island. Um, it's uh, in 2012. It went on the market for 22 million dollars. Before its price was slashed to nine million, but now it can be yours for five million dollars. Wow, they're a, desperate, huh? A five point five million or five point five acre property, mostly rock and minerals. The problem is, it's in the San Francisco, you know, I guess Bay, and the problem is, everyone in the world is going to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of supposed. So you, I guess you couldn't build anything on it if it's it's all rock. Yeah, but oh. you could probably, you know. But can you imagine building something and everybody in San Francisco would be mad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. But apparently it also has some great potential gas reserves. Mm-hmm. But try to get them out of there. <laughs> there so, you know, it's what they need That's to build. That's a huge price cut. They just need to build a really tall prison there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> like what they need is – Just move Alcatraz over a, there? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. see, Alcatraz closed. Right, so that's closed. now we could have a high rise mm-hmm. on the 5.5 acre. <laughs> Would that be cool? Yeah. I'm just throwing some ideas out there. 5.5, that's pretty that's inexpensive yeah. land. Yeah. But there's something wrong, obviously, with it. I think it's, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's going leaking from what to say, you said 22, it started $22 million? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, no, that's a Look, okay, who will just take it? I just need just somebody to take it. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Oh. Hey, uh, Hillary Clinton... She apologized. Mm-hmm. Were you going to do that in your I news? I am, yeah. It's about time, right? Yeah, but when we listen to her apology, it just doesn't feel right. I know. Did it sound legit to you? Yeah. Like I, she was super okay, sincere? I'm sorry. I know. I, I should have done it before. But, you know, when you get the but, you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't real sincere. You never, yeah. nobody wants to get that. <laughs> it's just bad. By the way, today also Teddy Bear Day. Mm, that's a good day. Uh, you know, so if you've got a wonderful weirdo and you want to celebrate, it's also a great day to get him a teddy yeah, bear. Get him a teddy bear. Anyway, lots going on in the news. Let's uh, go to the headlines, find out what's going on with Kathy Aiken. Yeah. Kathy? Good morning, everyone. A British Airlines jet with 159 passengers on board caught fire just before takeoff from Las Vegas yesterday. The engine fire triggered an emergency evacuation on the runway. 20 passengers were rushed to the hospital. Shane McCardle was one of the passengers. It's scary. You know, what we did in the weather, thing was going to explode or, or what. It was mass hysteria. I was one of the first people off the plane and uh, jumped down the slide and I looked up and the flames seemed to be about twice the height of the aircraft. 
The flight was bound for London. During an interview last night on ABC News, Hillary Clinton apologized for the private email server she used during her time as Secretary of State. That was a mistake. I'm sorry about that. I take responsibility. Uh, and I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. The apology comes months after Clinton refused to apologize, saying what she did was allowed and none of the emails were classified. Meanwhile, two top Senate investigators may give immunity to Brian Pagliano, one of Clinton's staffers who set up the email server in exchange for his testimony. Last week, Pagliano said he would take the fifth about Clinton's email activity during an upcoming hearing. Today in Washington, Clinton will make a speech in support of President Obama's Iran nuclear agreement. Obama now has enough support to block passage of a Republican disapproval resolution. Meanwhile, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz will appear together today at a rally on Capitol Hill to protest the accord. A House Judiciary Committee hearing begins today on Planned Parenthood. Many conservative lawmakers want Congress to defund the organization after seeing undercover videos showing fetal tissue being sold for research. Officials for Planned Parenthood say the videos were dishonestly edited and deny wrongdoing. Kim Davis, the Kentucky woman who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses due to her religious beliefs was released from jail yesterday. GOP presidential contender Mike Huckabee was there to greet her. But if you have to put someone in jail, I volunteer to go. Let me go. Davis could be back to work as early as Friday. Her attorney says she will continue to resist issuing the licenses until officials find some way to accommodate her religious opposition to gay marriage. Serena Williams beat sister Venus at the U.S. Open quarterfinals last night in New York, beating her in three sets. Serena is 21-4 and in major championships, and a win this week would make her just the fourth woman to win the Grand Slam of tennis. And finally, Matt, a selfie story that, well, got into the wrong hands. Uh Uh-oh. An Illinois man apparently accidentally sent two nude selfies to the human resources manager of the company that recently offered him a job. (laughs) Yeah, when the man called to follow up on the offer, the HR manager recognized the number as the one that sent the selfies. Is that Chuck? Yeah. (laughs) The man uh, told police they were meant for someone else, but the HR manager Uh. didn't, didn't agree and decided, though, not to press charges. Police told him to no longer contact the woman, and really surprisingly, the job offer was retracted. Un- Come on! Unbelievable. <laughs> Can you of imagine? Of all people, it's probably this great new career opportunity, and whoops. Stacy, did you get those pictures I sent you? <laughs> no, I didn't. What? <laughs> did I send those to my HR manager? I sent manager? it to uh, Shelly. Whoops, that was right next oh, to Stacy on my phone. <laughs> hey, Shelly, this is Chuck. We got uh, we got to talk. I promise that wasn't meant for you. <laughs> You didn't get anything from me, did you? <laughs> yeah, I got some selfies. Mm. Uh, that wasn't me. My brother sent those. That wasn't me. Let's just give some very simple advice on that. How about let's not ever take pictures of your naked yes, self and throw go. them or throw them out there yes, into the that is the best Twitter advice sphere ever, right or Instagram there. sphere. Uh-huh. Come just on, don't even do it. That is ridiculous. Giving you the tools to live a, live a healthier, happier. <laughs> on the Matt Townsend Show, we're trying to help you live a healthier, happier life. <laughs> and that is job. nuts. Honestly, I know. Like, focus. <laughs> you know, before you hit send, that's yeah. the problem. I think Always. It, the youth nowadays, especially, they're just, they yeah. just have to hit that quickly. Ugh. Just wait a second. Should I send my resume breath. or naked pictures? Resume or naked you pictures? You know, and the sad thing is, I, I go to the gym yesterday, and I'm looking around, and all the millennials, seriously, every one of them is on their phone. They, they do a couple of reps on the machine and, and they, they're down with their phone, you know, texting oh someone. It's like, heavens. come on, just give yourself an hour away yeah. from that thing. Yeah. They can't do it. And, well, I mean, I used to get carried away just looking in the mirror. Yep. 
But now they're getting carried away. I can kind away. of tell as you look in that glass oh, at your reflection on a regular basis. I fix my hair. <laughs> I just like to look at myself that uh-huh. way. Yeah. You know what? I think that's in, that's horrible. There's uh, the, they, Mirrors, when you're working out, don't need to be there. Nor do phones. They should make a phone rule and a mirror rule. I love to – I'm running on the treadmill watching these guys and girls kind of you know look at themselves as they're kind of flexing. And I just have to get a chuckle out of that. I think, wow, really? Uh. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you've looked at yourself now about 50 times. You look exactly the same like you did the last time. (laughs) Oh, it's embarrassing. Oh, can you imagine? No, but get off your phones for – come on. (laughs) They Um, can't. Stacy? Hey, so about that job. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, Chuck. (laughs) I I don't know. Um, You didn't get anything from me, did you? You know, I did, but we're not going to need your services anymore. That is just embarrassing. Embarrassing. Okay, but we're all learning, right? We learn. You think you have a bad life. Imagine being the guy that just lost his job that he didn't even have yet because he, you know, sent a picture. Shame on you. Hey, coming up uh, in just a few minutes, uh, Dr. Lisa Fontes, Aronson Fontes is going to be joining us. She is going to be talking about signs that your partner may be too controlling. Is your partner controlling? Stick with us, folks. Sometimes you think they are, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're just, you know, attentive. Maybe they're focused. We're going to be talking about your relationships and the tendency to coercively control your intimate partner. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, are you constantly reporting your whereabouts and your doings to your significant other? Does your partner keep you away from friends and monitor your social media or email use? Does your partner try to control what you wear, your personal activities, or your access or to resources like money or transportation? These and many more questions are important ones to ask. They come from today's guest, Dr. Lisa Aronson Fontes. And will help you identify if your partner is too controlling. Dr. Fontes is the author of the book Invisible Chains, Overcoming Coercive Control in Your Intimate Relationships. She joins us now live. Welcome to the program, Dr. Fontes. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. We are so um, grateful because this subject is so, I think, important to all of us. As a relationship coach, I see... A lot of over-controlling people, and I'm dying to find out your take on it. First off, um, what you call it coercive controlling. What What is coercive controlling, and what are some signs that we might be in a controlling relationship? Excellent. So coercive control is not just bossiness. It's domination. So sometimes in a couple, and even, you know, average couples, um, healthy couples, one person controls a certain aspect of their life, like one person might make their social dates while the other person controls the money. But they they can both state their opinions on it, and, you know, they, they take turns taking control of different parts of their life. In coercive control, we're speaking about something quite different. We're speaking of one member of the couple, and it's usually the man, um, 
thoroughly dominating his uh, partner or wife in most spheres of their life. One of the main things to look out for is isolation. So I'm going to speak about the most common situation where it's the man dominating the woman, because that's what we see more often. Uh, the woman discovers that she she can't really spend time with her friends or she realizes that she doesn't have friends the way she used to. Um, she feels cut off from the world. She may uh, not be able to get together with other people or not be able to get together with other people except when her husband is present. Mm. You, you also see a lot of monitoring. So, for instance, she has to account for where she's been and what she's done. He may be checking her cell phone. He may be reading her emails and insisting that he have access to her password if she's on any social networks. Sometimes, but not also, you see physical abuse or um, sexual abuse within the couple as well. And it may not be big incidents that, that she would think about calling the police for. It may be just sort of pushing and grabbing and intimidating physically. That can be the part of the, pa- part of the pattern as well. What what's um, behind all of this? Is it what what's going on in the the controller's head? Why right. the need to control? Well, I write about this in my book, Invisible Chains. Um, there can be a few motivations. Um, sometimes men feel like they're just entitled to uh, boss around uh, their wife or girlfriend in this way. That they feel like because they're a man. Um, that this is is what they're entitled to do. It's their it's their right to do it, and really, it's her job to serve him. Hmm. Um, but sometimes it comes out of a place of insecurity, and actually, those both can exist together. So that he feels so dependent on her that the idea of losing her is unbearable, and he will do anything he can to keep her with him. And he thinks that by controlling her not letting her meet other people, not letting her make her own decisions, she will not be able to get away. Of course, he's driving her way by controlling her in this way. And ultimately, you know, it's not going to lead to a happy, a happy woman, a happy right. couple. It's, it also, it just seems like, yeah, it's like the tighter he squeezes, the more she's just going to squirt away, <laughs> just get away. Right. And in the meantime, before, you know, she, she, she gets away, if she does decide to get away, she's going to be very unhappy. And men who control their partners in this way aren't happy either. Right. It's, it's not a fun thing to feel like you have to monitor your partner, um, restrict her movements. It takes a lot of time. You wouldn't believe the energy some men put into um, grilling their wives about where they've been or checking the odometer to see how many miles she's driven. Hmm. Um, so it's know, really just GPS on her phone. I mean, I yeah. could go on and on. It, well, <laughs> and, and I guess yeah, like you're saying, it's that's also time consuming. It just seems like this is love that we have to spend. I mean, the love is about micromanaging and controlling instead of relating and connecting. Exactly. I'm I'm, I'm so glad you used the word micromanaging because that that's another one of the telltale signs of um, coercive control. Is, is, you know, making lists of what the woman needs to do or requiring that she, she keep track, you know, let's say half hour by half hour of what she's doing, controlling what she wears, um, you know, how she stacks the groceries in the cart, um, how she folds the towel. Yeah. I mean, 
mean, it's one thing to be picky, you know, a little picky. Okay, I like my, you know, meal served in this way. Right. You know, but that's one specific area, and presumably a couple could talk about it, negotiate around it. But it's very different if you're talking about one person controlling many areas in this way to the point that the woman feels smothered. How, how does this relationship evolve? I'm assuming we wouldn't naturally fall in love with somebody that's controlling every part of our life. At first, we must think some of these are just cute traits of, boy, you really like me. Exactly. So sometimes these relationships start out seeming really romantic to a woman. You know, as a woman, I can say we're raised to think that a man is going to sweep us off our feet. Prince Charming is going to rescue us from all the feelings that we may have had, that, you know, sadness or boredom, the feelings we've had in our life, and then we are going to live happily ever after. And this is a fantasy that, you know, many of us wish could come true, and we certainly raise little girls with this, both in our families and in the big culture. And so a man who ends up being controlling a lot of times presents as a Prince Charming. He wants to be with her at all times. He can't get enough of, of her. Um, oh, honey, let's not be with anybody else. Let's just spend all our time alone together. Mm. Turn, let's turn off our phones, just the two of us. And he may create this little bubble, and at first it can feel like the most romantic thing in the world. A lot of times men who end up controlling in the beginning give lots of advice. Um, they seem to want to get to know everything about her. Tell me everything about you, every, anybody you've ever liked or loved. Tell me about your disappointments and your fears. And, and women love to be known in this way. They feel very cared for in the beginning. But then after a while, she might discover that if she thinks, well, gee, we spent so much time alone together, let's hang out with some other people, right. that she might find there's opposition. Mm. Or what happens if she doesn't want to take his advice? Um, she might discover, wow, I, I, I thought it felt like advice and it felt good in the beginning, yeah. but now it feels like I don't really have a choice about it. Yeah, then you're stuck, huh? It's kind of like before you know it, you're up to your neck in quicksand. Right. And a lot of times these courtships are very quick. Mm. So, Just because um, they're so full of energy and chemistry, supposedly. Yeah, and he, and he wants to claim her. Mm-hmm. So, honey, let's get married right away. Let's yeah. move in together. You know, whatever it is that that couple decides, you know, let's have a baby right away. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, you know, he really wants to claim her as his. And, and for a woman who's never experienced that kind of love in the beginning, that may just feel great. And she may just, you know, jump on board with that idea. And then she looks around and says, wait a second, what have I done? Yeah. Is this, is this need to control the sign of another disorder? Is it the sign of something else psychologically going on? Um, there are people who use coercive control, and I, I keep emphasizing that because I hope your listeners will, will Google the term coercive control, and, and I hope it will be as well known as verbal abuse or emotional abuse. I think it's a really helpful term, right. coercive control. Um, some people who use coercive control have other problems. You know, they may use substances, they may have suffered trauma, um, they may have an anxiety disorder themselves. But, um, of course, there are plenty of people who have trauma and don't try to control their partners. There are plenty of people who use substances and don't try to control their partners or who suffer depression, let's say. So simply having another condition um, doesn't explain coercive control. And addressing the other condition, a lot of times people think, oh, if only my husband would stop drinking or would stop popping pills, mm-hmm. I know everything would be better. Well, certain things would be better. 
But if he's controlling, that's probably not going to change uh, just because the other uh, the other problems are treated. Yeah, I've I've actually seen this with clients where the the coercive controlling partner never really even enabled their partner to go learn to read. And they came in to see me and sat down, and I always have them fill out these assessments before they come in. And, and the woman was incapable of filling out the assessment because she couldn't read. And her coercive, controlling husband answered all the questions for her. Right. And right then I'm like, okay, first thing we've got to do is get you reading. And right. that was the very first thing we did is have her start to break that band. But I mean, it's, and, and we'll come back and talk about how we break this, but. It seems like you could very easily get stuck in this relationship where, you know, it's scary to try to leave. It's hard to second. It's hard to outplay somebody that's already outplayed you in every area. What 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 is there hope for couples if one partner is uh, coercively controlling the other? Is there a way to shift out and get out of that pattern? Well, right before I get there, I just want to talk about what you just talked about, which is really depriving the woman of resources. Yeah. So in this case, it's you know depriving her of skills she needs, such as reading or learning how to drive. You commonly see that, that a couple will move to a place where they need a car, and um, he will make sure she doesn't learn how to drive or will just never quite get around to helping her learn to drive, so she's completely dependent on him. Um, or depriving the woman of money is pretty common as well, mm. which of course inhibits her ability to, you know, live a, a full life. Um, is there hope for couples? Um, I wrote a post on that for the Huffington Post called "Do Abusers Change?" And you know, some of your listeners may object to the word "abusers." Yeah. It's, it's not a perfect word, right. but I think it's worth looking at this post in the Huffington Post: "Do Abusers Change?" Because I talk about the the way the things that a man who is really determined to change needs to do and it's a lot more than simply saying oh honey i'll never do it again yeah. i promise i'll never do it again i learned my lesson and crying um this is very common for abusers to do but they really need to see learn to see their women you know and i shouldn't really even say their women they need to see the women in their lives as full independent human beings with a right to their own opinions, a right to their own lives, to see that the woman's life should not revolve around them. You know, of course, in a couple, people's, people's lives, to a certain extent, revolve around each other, but not entirely. She should have some things right. of her own as well. Yeah, she needs to be independent, right? To be interdependent, you need two independent people, and instead we have, I guess, two dependent people. I mean, she's not free to be whatever she wants to be, and he's he needs her to stay exactly what he needs her to be. It's, right. it's just broken. Yep. Ugh. So in, in my book, Invisible Chains, I talk about, um, there. you know, there's a few chapters directed for uh, people who find themselves caught in a relationship like this, and they can um, see uh, some of the things that are happening and what needs to happen if the relationship can change. Mm. A lot of times, a separation is a really good idea. Yeah. And um, during the separation, it can be really painful for the for the man, the controlling man. He feels like he's going to die, but he discovers he won't die, and um, she can begin to hear her own voice again. 
So even if it's, you know, like a, a three-day vacation or something, um, for, for a woman who has been completely overwhelmed by her partner, that can be a really important break. Yeah, break that. You know? Break that chain, right? Break that invisible chain, as your book describes. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Lisa Aronson-Fontes, and she is teaching us about overcoming coercive control in our relationships it's so uh, it's so interesting, folks. And, it, you know, some of you may be out there like, oh, I know someone like this. Listen up. Well, when we come back, we'll be giving you some more tools, some ideas uh, on how to break some of these chains. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Lisa Aronson-Fontes, and she is uh, she's dedicated more than two decades to making mental health, criminal justice, and social justice systems more responsive to uh, the people that they're there to serve. She also is the author of the book Invisible Chains, Overcoming Coercive Control in Your Intimate Relationships. Today she's here to talk, us, talk to us about signs that your partner is a coercive controller, and uh, you're giving us some serious uh, enlightenment here. Lisa Aronson-Fontes, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Talk about, um, so you, we've been talking about this coercive control, controlling person, which isn't, it's different than just being a bossy partner that's like, do the dishes. The controlling person is in every aspect of your life, and they're coercively dominating a partner. And I guess statistically, this tends to be men doing this to women. There are women, I'm sure, that can be coercive controllers. But you see a lot of this with men that are, they're really micromanaging every part of their partner's life. Is that the the, the idea? every part of their partner's life but they're they're micro some of the, some of the tactics of course of control include isolating so making it uh difficult for a woman to get together uh with other people um without him or at all um monitoring which of course is easier with technology so keeping track of her phone calls mm. and where she is um Micromanaging, uh, not every coercively controlling person uses it, but, but sometimes uh, it, it is commonly used. And it may not be in every sphere. It may be in certain spheres. Yeah. Usually there's some belittling or degrading. So um, it could be calling ugly names. It could be um, you know, just constantly criticizing and tearing somebody down. Um, sometimes um, men control women through their children. So they undermine the woman's authority. They make it, they strain her relationships with her children yeah. or their children um, so that she feels isolated even within the family. So even if this person doesn't physically abuse, which they could do um, as part of uh, this coercive um, this coercive controlling, th- this is emotional, mental abuse, it is. It is. And, and the concept of emotional abuse is certainly better known than coercive control. Um, I think that coercive control is really a broader category. And for a lot of people who are subject to this, it helps them really connect the dots 
Um, so they may be living through certain things and, and uncomfortable, but not really sure why they're uncomfortable. And they discover the concept, of course, of control. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yes, this fits into a pattern. Now I understand. Mm. Um, from the outside, it may even look to others like they have the perfect relationship. Yeah. You know, here is this man who seems so charming in public often, and, um, you know, he's so attentive that he drives her everywhere. Well, that can look lovely from the outside, but sometimes from the inside, a woman can feel completely smothered. Do, um, do these partners seek out a partner that they can easily control? I mean, I, I've seen this with um, with examples of, you know, people that, that found a wife from Russia and they bring her over from Russia, one of those dating sites, and they bring her over from Russia and then they just control every – they become a coercive controller because everything – they basically feel like they own, they own this woman. Right. Is it – is is it are we are these people looking for someone they can control or do they just find someone they love and then they control? Well, I think there's some of each. Okay. I mean, certainly some people will seek out a woman and um, bring her to a situation where she doesn't know anyone. It could be, you know, as you describe a woman from Russia, it could be somebody they meet in the military or, mm. or on a mission or um, in some kind of situation and bring her to a place where she doesn't speak the language or, or just she doesn't know people. Yeah. And that certainly is isolating. But But I think we have to be careful here because... Um, really, unfortunately, any woman can be victimized yeah. by coercive control. And I know I th- it's hard for a lot of people to think that. A lot of people think, oh, well, that could never happen to me because mm. I'm too intelligent or I'm too gutsy or too spunky or something like that. Um, but, you know, at different points in our lives, we can be vulnerable and end up in a situation we never thought we'd be in and uh, feel trapped. Oh, yeah. No, I can I can totally see it. As as which is it's such an important thing, and maybe teach us what should we do if we find ourselves in this type of uh, disparate, uneven relationship. Well, I would say two things are are really important. One is to not allow yourself to become isolated. So whatever it takes to be in contact with other people. Um, email, phone calls, exercise classes, walks every day with other people. Um, isolation is the worst thing. Yeah. Um, taking classes, uh, internet, there are groups on the internet for people who face uh, verbal and emotional abuse as well. But of course, if somebody's internet use is being monitored, then that's, uh, that may not be safe. And the second thing is, is to find out more information. So I would encourage your listeners to um, Google the term coercive control. I would encourage them to take a look at my book, Invisible Chains. And I've also done um, blogs on the Huffington Post and Psychology Today, which that information is is freely available. I think the information is very helpful and uh, will will help them strategize. Um, Isolation is the worst because then whatever the abuser is doing, the calling names and so on, um, a woman begins to lose self-esteem. She begins to think it's true. What yeah. he says is true. And if he's playing mind games with her, you know, you know, what, are you crazy? Did you, you know, you must have misplaced it. You didn't do this right. She begins to believe it because she has no other source of confirmation. Mm, so true. And which is, it's, it seems like there's a role here for parents or for outsiders that are seeing 
um, this isolation taking place. Maybe we could continue to just keep trying to to access this person and and, and get them information and get them you know links to your articles or to this podcast and say, "Hey, we care about you." Right. And and so often people will get angry at a family member. You know, she went off and married him, and now I never hear from her. Right. Well, I don't want to talk to her anymore. And really, she needs the opposite. She needs us to move towards her and and let her know that we always care for her and we want to be with her. And um, a lot of times um, men who control their wives in this way will, will somehow make a stink to drive family members away. Yeah and um, make her believe that they've said bad things about her. Um, so we, we have to not allow that isolation to happen. What can we do as we're dating uh, to maybe vet this person a little bit more, better understand if they have this tendency to control? Uh, what a great question. <laughs> That's so important. Um, I think one thing is to pay attention to ourselves. And if we discover that we're silencing certain thoughts, or opinions or desires because we don't want to make the other person mad. Mm. That is a huge red flag. A person in a relationship should, should be able to say, um, no, honey, I don't want to do that, yeah. or I don't want to do it now, or let's do this instead, or even I don't want to get together with you tonight. I want to do something else. That's not a betrayal. Yeah. So if a person is in a relationship and finds herself unable to express her own opinions and make her own decisions, that's a huge red flag. She shouldn't have to give all her time to the relationship to prove her loyalty. Yeah, and it shouldn't constantly be up for question. Right. I mean, if I'm married to you and I've been married to you for 10 years, what are and you pretty much own everything about me. but that's hard because, like you're saying, if I'm in isolation, I don't get feedback from others that I have worth. And if I keep hearing from this person that I'm not of worth, uh, you got to you, you tend to believe it, don't you? Yep. Mm. It really it's a tragedy, isn't it? Because it's it's a it's a really it's a loss of your soul. You you've basically given over your heart to somebody that is actually harming you. Right. And then and, and people feel like they're not allowed to live their authentic lives. We've each been given, you know, uh, we're, we're living we're living our life and we don't have another as far as we know. Right. So this we need to live this life to our fullest. And if our partner is um, inhibiting us, then that's a real problem. Um, we can't live another person's life. We can only live our own life. Man, it's really it's true. It's so true. And it's uh, I think it's a great topic that we all need to take more seriously. Uh, again, we so appreciate you um, and and all of the work that you're doing because this is a topic, a topic that a lot of people don't really want to get into. Dr. Lisa Aronson-Fontes, thank you so much and the work you do. Again, the book is called Invisible Chains, Overcoming Coercive Control in Your Intimate Relationship. And uh, you, can go, you can go look that up. You can also just look up coercive uh, control and you'll you'll probably go right to a lot of the writings by our wonderful guest. Um, we're going to take a break, come back to a little coach's corner, and uh, see if we can't even add a little more light to our relationships. Stick with us, folks, doing what we can to help you find the good in the world and the tools you need to make your life even better. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, relationships are crazy things, and um, we got to slow down a little bit. When you're dating someone, when you're married to somebody, our last guest, uh, uh, Lisa Aronson Fontes, made a really um, interesting point that sometimes a break from each other is is one of the is one of the great things that could actually save your marriage. I personally, when I coach couples and I work with people, I'm not a big believer in separation. Oh yeah, we need to separate. Um, because separation usually just means let's let's break up and be done and then let's not really do anything to work on the marriage and then maybe something will change. Uh, I'm a bigger believer that if if you're going to try to create a change, you need to create a change. So I, I believe in what's called structured separation. So if you're in a situation where you are being controlled like that and coercively controlled or manipulated – the hardest thing is you've got to get strong enough and independent enough to to say, no, I'm not doing this anymore, to pull the trigger. And if you can be strong enough to do that, I'm a big believer you can see change. I also believe you won't, you won't see anything change just as long as you stay weak and ineffective and incapable of digging yourself out. Um, people tend to respond – to their partner in a fairly reactive way. So usually if somebody's afraid of their partner, then you tend to build a partner that will probably take more advantage of you normally because it works. So if I'm not afraid of you, um, then that changes the system. One of the goals simply when I work with couples, especially where one, where it's so disproportionate and it's unfair in how dominated one is or dominating one is over the other. Man, my, what I usually try to do is take the weaker of the two and make them stronger. There's a crazy rule in relationships. It's kind of scary, but it's very true. And the, the rule simply, whoever cares the least has the most power. Whoever cares the most in a reactive relationship doesn't seemingly have as much power in the relationship. And I, I know that sounds weird, and awkward, except think about it. If I don't care if we're done and you do, then I um, I have more power to do what I want to do, to say what I want to do, to be what I want to be. And you always have to, because in order to save the relationship, you have to keep being what I need you to be or I'm done. And it puts you in a really unfair position, especially if you're in a position that is against your value system. The hardest thing about all of this is it's okay to have a partner that you're willing to submit to in certain things if they're aligned to your values um, and if it's healthy for you. But we don't always have to submit, and a really healthy partner should never just sit there and try to dominate you. It's it's not the way of God. It's not the way of effective long-term relationships. This is always supposed to be about a mutual relationship. I meet your needs, you meet my needs. And it's a mutual reciprocal type of thing. It's not, it should not be something that's forced or compelled or coerced. So for any of us out there in listener land, the minute you're trying to coerce someone to love you, the minute you're trying to manipulate somebody to stay with you, 
you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're battling. You're you're battling the game. The minute I sense you're incredibly desperate to have to stay with me, just so you know, you're not independent enough to be with me because you can't even handle being without me. It takes two people that are independent and strong to make a healthy relationship. If your partner died tomorrow, you have to be able to stand on your own two feet and deliver. So think about your relationship. Think about your marriage. Are you strong enough to stand on your own? Well, I could. I mean, I could if I have to, but I don't. I really would not want to. What's powerful is the minute that you can, and I know you're strong enough that you don't need to have me, and you know I'm strong enough and I don't need to have you, then it puts our marriage in a completely different place where we get to choose to be together. That's a whole different ballgame. Many, many times I hear people say, oh, yeah, we have to stay together. We were married and we have four kids. Well, that's not a great reason to just stay together. It's also not a great reason to divorce because, you know, in the end, you should stay together because you want to be with each other. We're good for each other instead of feeling like you're stuck. Number one way to feel less stuck in your marriage and your relationship is gain your own identity, recognize who you are, figure out what your strengths are, become a force in your own life. A true blue force becoming what you want to become in your life. Have a, have Magnify your talents and your strengths. Be connected and committed to your family. Understand how to be a good or a great communicator in your marriage. When you get good at all of these skills, then your partner has to play fair and even with you, or we're done. Now that I'm not, it's not an intimidation trick. It's if you want to play and have a long term relationship with me, you've got to be strong. And because if you're weak, the the natural man tendency will be simply to use you. The natural man tendency, if I don't have somebody that's equally yoked with me, that is just as strong as I am spiritually and socially and emotionally and mentally, it doesn't mean we can't compensate. We can. But if I have to carry all the time everything spiritual in our family because you don't, that's going to upset the the balance. And if you have to carry everything socially and I have to carry everything financially— It's not going to balance, especially because things can happen and you can lose your partner tomorrow. The number one sign if you're independent enough to be a great partner is if your partner died tomorrow, could you be a successful single and a healthy single and could you possibly find another person? Because if you would – if everything in your life would fall apart because your partner – is gone, dies, then you're probably not independent enough right now. And when we're dating somebody and we're trying to figure out if we want to be with somebody, you can slow it down and figure out how independent is this person? Are they totally reliant on their mother to dress them? Are they totally reliant on, uh, you know, their father's checkbook to pay for all of their bills? How independent are they? Are they socially strong, mentally strong? Are they spiritually strong? Are they emotionally strong? 
Do they have you seen them have a breakdown because of a really difficult part of life and have they made it through the breakdown? Do they have an emotional issue? Do they have a childhood they haven't dealt with? I'm telling you, because if we don't open these things up, and I honestly believe a lot of that you can't know when you're dating. It's just not going to happen. But you can find out later. And when we find out later, then we have to get as as whole and independent as we can. Two independent people can go create interdependent relationships. Two dependent people create codependent relationships. We can't afford to do that or we get stuck in these convert, coercively controlling relationships. Tough stuff. That's the Coach's Corner, my friends. We'll take a break. Uh, next hour, we're going to be, we got a great show, discussing with uh, Jared Shores here from Brigham Young uh, BYU Television. He's uh, one of the creators and founders of uh, one of the great shows here, Studio C. He's going to be joining us talking about the future of television. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the place where we try to give you the tools, the ideas, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. Man, we got a great show coming up. Jared Shores will be joining us in just a few moments. Jared is the creator and uh, I think the one of the, I don't know what you call them, like the creator, the originators of Studio C, which is taking... You know, YouTube by storm, Studio C is a program here at BYU Television. If you go to BYU TV, you can see all of the episodes of Studio C. It's kind of a cleaner, kinder, gentler um, Saturday Night Night Live. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be on the show today because we wanted to pick his brain about the future of TV with Netflix and Hulu and all of these other sources that we can go get our favorite shows Mm -hmm. on. Do I even need... Do I need broadcast stations like CBS anymore? Do I need to go watch my local TV channels? Or can I just go to Netflix? Yeah. Well, local TV, I think, is is really struggling from years ago because most kids now, millennials especially, they just get oh. their news off their tablets right. or, right. you know, they're not watching. So. You can just go, yeah, Change go get your app and all right. of a sudden you can find out everything that's going on yeah. locally. You can Twitter, even get, get your news you off get, Twitter. Yeah. And things will tell you, hey, this is going on. So yeah. pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. So we'll be picking uh, Jared brain, Jared Shore's brain, find out uh, what the future looks like there. Also, did you hear this crazy story about the Russian five-year-olds? Mm-mm. Holy cow. Two five-year-old Russian boys used some spades to dig their way out of their kindergarten. Wow. They, I guess they were probably outside, and they dug, I guess, under a fence. It doesn't have all the details. <laughs> but they dug out of kindergarten, and they set off on a mission to buy a Jaguar sports car. At five. At five years old. I wonder if they watched Shawshank Redemption. They must have. The two boys disappeared as their group took part of a supervised walk in the grounds of the kindergarten. We don't have any details yet. We can only confirm the fact itself, according to the AFP um, spokesperson. Mm. 
I wonder what their parents are teaching them. That's interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But after they got out from underneath the – however they got out, they dug out. And once they were out – I mean it's like that Chapo <laughs> guy, the drug lord. Um, but after reaching freedom, the boys walked two kilometers to a car showroom that was selling luxury cars. Mm. A female driver noticed the unaccompanied children and asked them what they were doing, where they were going. And they said, yeah, we're just off to buy a Jaguar. But they didn't have any money. <laughs> So anyway, she put them in the car, drove them to the police station, and the boys had, uh, I guess, been preparing their escape for several days. <laughs> they, I think they've been watching Prison Break. Yes. Anyway. Or sad. Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank. I think that's on every night. Yeah, it probably it really is, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, if you're, if you're out there, watch out for uh, those Russian kids and their Jaguars. Did you also hear about this other boy in Canada that went to get his eye um, fixed, uh, and the receptionist was helping. They went to like a, just a little local clinic. And the receptionist was helping the doctor. They were trying to glue, a, you know how they have that glue that you stitch your for, super glue. Yeah, it's the glue they use to for stitches. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yes. So it's kind of like super glue, but yes. Yeah. Well, this three-year-old boy apparently, uh, this how do you put this? A receptionist was helping the doctor. She was new to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess glue dripped down from the cut and got in the boy's eye, and she glued the little boy's eye shut. Oh, wow. Big deal. That's a big deal. Which is, you know, maybe receptionists shouldn't be I'm thinking that's not their job. Gluing Uh cuts. Right. Anyway, they had to take the child immediately to the uh, emergency room where they were able to get the eyes, the boy's eye open mm-hmm. by cutting his eyelashes. I'm smelling lawsuit right here. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. somebody's going to be making a lot of moolah <laughs> on that one. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, probably not the best position for her. And No, not yeah, at all. No. Here's another one. Um, does your husband laugh at you a lot? Um, no. No? I, no. I don't do a lot of funny stuff, no. Because apparently people might be laughing at your jokes because you're attractive, not oh. because you're funny. Yeah, I don't have good jokes. I'm not a good joke teller. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all I get. Yeah, the babies will laugh. But the babies yeah, not laugh the adults, at you because I'm not a good joke. I always forget the jokes after they tell them. Really? Yeah. I mean, do, do you really? Are you able to remember? I don't jokes remember. For a long I don't. Of time? No, I can't remember jokes that are like setup jokes. Yeah. No, I just can make fun of. People. I can't. I know. I remember the gist of it, but then all of a sudden I start to tell it and I forget the punchline, so I totally mess it up. But it's don't don't kid yourself. It's not. It doesn't matter if you have a sense of humor. It just mm-hmm. matters if you're attractive. Okay. So oh, if guys, nobody's yeah, laughing sure. at you, then you're not yeah. attractive. Oh yeah, that's so true. Kind you of men depressing. Just think, yeah, attractive women are funny. I don't know. Yeah. Or try to make them think they're funny. Well, Professor Sophie Scott, a neuroscientist, says the way we express our emotions um, has probably a lot more to do with. Just us trying to keep a healthy relationship. So if you have your spouse and she still laughs at your jokes, Mm -hmm. it means she's attracted to you. Oh, that's a good sign then. Okay. If she doesn't laugh at your jokes, then she's probably thinking about the UPS guy. (laughs) Even if it's totally funny, really? Yeah. Like if she's if if like if I say something super funny and she doesn't laugh. Uh oh. That's a bad sign. It's a bad sign. Okay. So if I laugh at myself, does that mean I think I'm attractive? Yes. That's scary. Which actually. is seriously awkward. <laughs> and we've been meaning to talk to you about that. Well, sometimes I like look at myself in the mirror while I tell the joke. Uh huh. And, and, you, and it's if, hilarious. And I've walked in on you hugging yourself. <laughs> and that's just weird. You're just weird. kind of rotating Creepy. with your arms around you. 
Anyway, oh, well. enough of that fun. Let's go to Kathy Ake and find out what's going on in the headlines. Hillary Clinton apologized last night for the private email server she has used she used during her time as Secretary of State and the controversy it has caused. In an interview with ABC News, the Democratic presidential frontrunner said this. That was a mistake. I'm sorry about that. I take responsibility. Uh, and I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. The apology comes months after Clinton refused to apologize, saying what she did was allowed and none of the emails were classified. However, a New York Times report this week claims two emails received on that server were marked top secret at the time she received them. President Obama now has 41 Democrats on board with his Iran nuclear deal. That's enough to block passage of a Republican disapproval resolution. Meanwhile, today, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump will appear together at a Capitol Hill rally to protest the proposed nuclear agreement. A British Airlines jet caught fire as an engine failed just before takeoff from Las Vegas yesterday. The fire triggered an emergency evacuation on the runway. 159 people were on board. 20 of those had to be rushed to the hospital. The flight was headed for London. Kim Davis was released from jail yesterday after five days after she defied a court order to issue same-sex marriage licenses in Kentucky. She was greeted by Christian supporters, including GOP presidential contender Mike Huckabee. Here's Kentucky Governor Steve. Bashir. While they are free as individuals to have their own views and have every right to, uh, they don't have the right to bring those views into their office and deny people uh, under the law of whatever they're supposed to be doing. Davis could be back to work as early as Friday. Baltimore officials say they've agreed to a $6.4 million wrongful death settlement in the death of Freddie Gray. Gray died while in police custody back in April. Baltimore Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake said the proposed settlement should not be interpreted as a judgment of guilt or innocence of the officers on trial. The agreement needs to be approved by the city's Board of Estimates, which will vote on that today. Serena Williams beat sister Venus at the U.S. Open quarterfinals last night in New York, beating her in three sets. Holding serve, I think, in the third set was all I could do. She came out hitting so hard. just blasting every shot. I was on defense a lot so because she has so much power and um, it was just it wasn't really easy today at all. Serena is trying to become the first woman to win the Grand Slam since Steffi Graf. She is 21 and four in major championships. One of the coaches from John Jay High School where two players ran down a referee during a game last week has been placed on paid leave during an investigation of his possible involvement. Assistant coach Mac Breed allegedly told the team after two players had already been ejected from the game, quote, that guy needs to pay for cheating us, close quote. The video on YouTube has had over 7 million views. Stephen Colbert made his late show debut last night. Colbert's guests were George Clooney, very good choice, and Jeb Bush, and his competitor, Jimmy Kimmel. Did you see this, Matt? No. She ha- he had actress Emily Blunt on the show. I love her. And anyway, she talked about being a new U.S. citizen and said the citizenship test was pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she said she had to say she has never been a habitual drunkard or prostitute and had to renounce Queen Elizabeth. Wow. Kimmel gave the actress his own citizenship quiz, including what does DQ and MLB stand for (laughs) and what are the big refillable cups at 7-Eleven called? Oh, there you go. Yeah, she didn't know any of those. Oh, what? Yeah, so she failed. Not an American. Yeah, no, not if you don't know those three. Not yeah. an American. She thought it was a Slurpee, but uh, it's the Big gee, Gulp. You big know, Gulp. Like or that. Super those Big are, Gulp. Those are very important questions. Or Super so, Duper yeah, Duper. Super. <laughs> um, wow, that's quite a question. Yeah. Have you ever been a drunkard or a, 
I mean, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah. And she said she well, she has this uh, dual citizenship, but um, you know, she kind of had to renounce Queen Elizabeth. She said, "I really don't want to." They said, "Just say it. You don't have to mean it." Just you know, uh, you just know, get it out okay, of your mouth. Yeah, I do, but I don't. So anyway, yeah. So you <laughs> oh, do know crazy. DQ? Yeah, Dairy Queen. Okay, uh, hey, I grew up there. Major League Baseball. Yeah, very good. And nothing better than a, a DQ at the MLB. Exactly. You put those two together, and yeah. that's a darn good night. Those are those are. The, have you ever looked at the test? That test for citizenship. It's pretty hard. Yeah. I have never seen it. We, we'd all fail. We, we probably yeah. would. We, luckily, we're already uh, in. But be careful. You know, if it's up to Trump, we might all have to retest. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Uh, great job. Man, a lot going on in the world today. We uh, are going to take a break. When we come back, Jared Shores will be joining us. Jared is, uh, works here at BYU Broadcasting. He's the creative development supervisor and is one of the— uh, I guess the founding fathers of Studio C, one of the most popular shows here on BYU Broadcasting. It also has a ton of followers on YouTube as well. So we'll be speaking with him about the future of television. Like what really is going to come of those three channels that we used to just sit and watch? Do you remember back in the day? You may have had nine channels or so. Anyway, we're going to find out what is it going to look like in the future and about, you know, Netflix and the power of some of these other networks like Hulu and Netflix. They're changing the world. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in studio with us, uh, we're honored to have Jared Shores joining us. And Jared is one of the co-creators of BYU Broadcasting's, I think, most popular show ever of all time, next to the Mormon Tabernacle (laughs) Choir broadcast. But uh, Jared Shores and Matt Meese were the co-creators of Studio C. Yep, that's us. And you're in your fourth year? Um, We're in our third Third year, year, sixth season. So uh, yeah, you're doing two. A, we're yeah. doing two year. This this year kind of started off a little bit different for us. So we're um, we're doing a full. Typically, we've done two seasons a year with ten episodes a piece, and now we just said, Let, let's just bite the bull. Let's just do one twenty. Yeah. Let's just do yeah. one season of twenty episodes. So season six has twenty episodes in it. Holy cow! Yeah. But I wanted you on because you've you've kind of struck gold because it's hard to do, and then you were just doing it for BYU broadcasting, and then all of a sudden you found YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> or it found you, probably. In, in some sense, you know, when we started season one, um, it made a lot of sense. We actually put those straight up on YouTube as did well. Did you right up there? Yeah. And, and for us, the reason why we did that is because um, it was kind of innately made for that. Like, yeah. It fit really oh, it's perfect. well. A little six-minute vignette or whatever. And so it's easy, obviously, as you can imagine, for people to share. Yeah. So we had a lot of organic growth on YouTube um, that continued to happen and, and still does, which has kind of been a lot of our lifeblood in some extent. Yeah, yeah. And so well, that's why I wanted you on because – Nowadays, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have a billion other places where we can get the content. Yeah. I don't need to go watch must-see TV. <laughs> Do I? I mean, I don't need to go have this appointment viewing anymore. Now I can I can just get the content where I want it. Sure, sure. And I mean, I think that's one of the uh, beautiful things about the internet in general is that it allows everyone to go out and find their own uh, like uh, super niche or extreme interest. Like yeah. if, if you're interested in 
um, any type of game or theory or thought, there, there's bound to be oh. a group that you can relate to. And the internet allows you to do that, and especially when, with media consumption, that there's no shortage of right. avenues for you I to mean, have you seen these? Watch. There's This blows my mind. There's channels where you can watch people open um, – that you can watch them open <laughs> Star Wars. It's – Unboxing. It is Unboxing is a, oh, is a big heavens. thing. What yeah. is that about? That is it's, messed up. <laughs> it's a random. It's a random thing that you wouldn't really think about, but there's some thrill in this idea of just like <laughs> watching it happen. You know, um, in the same sense that I think a lot of people get uh, don't know about is the gaming community. Oh yeah, that you know these big gaming um, tournaments like E3 um, have bigger viewerships than like the World Series. No, I know. And, and they're athletes. Huge. They call them game, e-athletes. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. And so now, yeah. well, I have kids that will go watch some of the top players of like Madden. Oh, sure. They'll watch them play a football game. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. And it's this is stuff that never existed, but our children are going to grow up on this. Absolutely. So do we – When I, and I look at it. You've got a hard job because you have to go create something new and funny. Mm-hmm. Based on what you've been doing, for example, on Studio C, but you have to keep doing it, 20 episodes for as long as you can. (laughs) And then – but you also – you – you you put it on is is uh, Studio C on Netflix? It's not. No, just Granite Flats. Okay, Granite Flats is on Netflix. But so then all of a sudden your content can be distributed on another platform, not just BYU Broadcasting, but on Netflix – so I guess is it becoming that everyone's going to just become independent agents producing content and putting it on all of these networks? What does the future look like? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. You know, even at a side note, we we go to VidCon everywhere, which is a yeah. big video conference for YouTubers. And, and I think that even then everyone's asking, so what's the future of YouTube? How do I do this on right. YouTube? And right. and the reality is that, that YouTube or Netflix or all these other companies I think are in some sense very organic. And yeah. people are still figuring out exactly what this little do. baby is growing up. And now YouTube is more of an adolescent. What's it actually going to, quote, mature to become? Um, and so it's really hard to say. For us, I think at the end of the day, um, what simplifies things for me is the fact that I think what's going to win out isn't going to be, per se, YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. It's more of people that can make compelling stories and entertainment. Mm. And wherever that is, if that means it's on Vimeo or if it's on YouTube or Netflix, people will go. Because go. If, if you have good marketing and, and a good concept and people will share it, because that's, yeah. at the end of the day, people just want to find stuff that relates and is relevant to them. Right. Well, and, and I mean, and there's a lot of examples of um, John Oliver, for example. Oh, sure. It's, it's kind of out there. It's a little racier, but it's, it's a whole different type of news and yep. it's – it's entertaining. Absolutely. It's interesting. And then people follow it. And then you'll get one a week or whatever you get from Oliver. And Absolutely. So I guess that's the idea. You can take anybody now, I mean, any media company, you just need to create something compelling. It's not You're not forced to have to watch the B and C shows you'd never watch right. and then with every one A, every fifth one. Right, right. Exactly. Cool. And I think that's what's the beauty of technology is allowed – Anyone that actually has talent or a good idea that can team up with someone to help, help execute that, that they actually have a way to garner and gain an audience. Yeah. Where before it was like, hey, if you're not part of the main four networks or you don't oh, know yeah. somebody that knows somebody, then 
it's a pipe dream. Just forget about it and go right. do something else. But now it's so great that I think everyone has the opportunity. Because you and Scott Swafford, who is over, he's what's his title? Creative uh, director, director of director of content. Yeah, that's is that yeah. <laughs> every time he comes on, yeah. I make up a new title <laughs> for him. But you you have people you know bring in ideas to you. They're pitching ideas yeah. to you, and so you're sorting through all of these ideas. Yeah. Yet I guess that's what it's going to come down to is you, if you have the good ideas, you make a little pilot, test it yeah. out. And and as you can imagine, even when it comes down to, to trying to weed out ideas, it's such oh, a guessing I bet game. it is, huh? It's a guessing game to think, well, because I, I always view like a, a good piece of media as a true miracle. Yeah. Like, oh, like yeah. um, the idea that, that someone actually had both a really good idea, they executed it really well, if not better than the idea itself, you know, and put it all together and then it was marketed and distributed well. Like all those pieces require tons and if not hundreds of hands that have the potential to either lift it or to lower it. Yeah, mess it up. And so um, it's whenever I see a good piece of media, I just go, wow, that's I love watching it because it's a miracle that this is so good. Give me an example of where you've seen that. Like what, I mean, Studio C hit light and that was a lightning (laughs) strike. What, What else do you see out there that you think, okay, that is... That's just nirvana in the media department. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to think lately. Yeah, it's hard. It is There's because there's so much noise. I, you know, now that you mentioned John Oliver, some of his stuff is just like it's written it's so well. How much of that do you think is John? How much do you think it's a personality mm-hmm. versus like you have to use a team of personalities? Mm-hmm. Is it – it seems like it might be harder to do something like a Granite Flats mm. than it is to do a John Oliver because John Oliver can just go be John Oliver. Right, right. And – it is tricky because I think no matter if it's Granite Flats or if it's John Oliver, you need to have a single voice yeah. entity that's helping drive this thing. I think as soon as you start to derail a train into even two or three tracks, yeah. people will start to feel it. And they want to feel a unified voice. Right. And not to say that you can't find that with multiple people, but they, you know, I think of like the the Cohen brothers. They yeah. might as well be like the Cohen because I feel like they're, they're so unified <laughs> of true. the vision. Yeah. Um, and I think the same has to be true of, of any concept, especially in a series that you, I feel like you can almost feel when the creator leaves a show. No, exactly. And you, yeah, you can almost tell season by season when the writers have changed yep, and absolutely. when they've all kind of given up on it. You're just like, well, we're in season four it's now. So true. It's just, we gain an audience. We just, we got enough. We'll just kind of phone this in a little bit. In fact, let's do that. Again, we're speaking with Jared Shores, who is the creative development supervisor here at BYU Broadcasting. We're talking all things media and television, especially the future. What's going to happen with media? We'll come back. More questions. I want to find out about Fallon, what you think of Colbert. I mean, now we've got all these guys that are creating TV shows just to basically generate, you know, internet properties and internet content. Stick with us, folks. More with Jared Shores right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in studio with us is Jared Shores. If you've ever heard of uh, the BYU Broadcasting Production Studio C, this is the guy that made it happen. He, with Matt Meese, Matt Meese they co-created Studio C. They're now in their sixth, sixth series, third season. I don't know what you call it. Close enough. Is that close enough? 
Jared, you, you just got to make now. Now you're going to have one season, 20, 20 segments long. Um, Jared is joining us. We're trying to basically figure out we're going to do it here because a lot of you are wondering what's going to happen with TV in the future. Jared Shores knows. I know exactly what's going to happen is that sure. nobody knows. That's, w- that's the answer. That's the answer. I wish you knew, but nobody knows. I wanted to ask you, with Colbert starting out last night, you didn't have a chance to see I it. I didn't. But um, let, me, let me just give you a taste of it, okay? Here's a little taste of Colbert. Why don't you run for us um, clip, uh, actually clip 14. The other day, Nabisco, Nabisco, Oreos, right? Oreos. I love Oreos. I'll never eat them again. Okay? I'll never eat them again. No, Nabisco closes a plant they just announced a couple of days ago in Chicago, and they're moving the plant to Mexico. Now, why? Why? I'm never eating Oreos again, ever. Ever. That's right. Donald Trump is swearing off of Oreos, okay? So he's pulling out an Oreo box. He claims that Mexico is taking our economy, and they're ripping it in two. Tore the Oreos apart. And they're uh, scraping out the creamy center. And then, and then, and then they're, they're, they're dunking it in milk. Mm. <laughs> sort of less track metaphor here. Um, let's say the milk is China. And he dips it in China. Um, but so now Colbert's starting, and he can, his big thing was he's going to cover all of the politicians. And he had a picture of all of them. And then he said, as long as they're Trump. <laughs> And he, but the funny thing about it, it's like John Oliver, they they will be able to shred these people with humor, yeah, and um and then put it out on the internet and it'll become viral and all of a sudden like Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon has created a dynasty. More people are watching him than we're even watching Johnny, yeah, because they can watch it fifteen times over. Yeah, yeah. what do you think? Where does this end? You know, I think I think really. Just like you can imagine, um, in all these um, entities, they're all they're all a business, right? So yeah. they're, they're money driven. They, they kind of have to be to support themselves, right? Um, so I think really what it kind of comes down to is that I think everyone's trying to figure out how do we make money doing this. And yeah. YouTube, you know, for Fallon has done a, a phenomenal job. My guess is that they're looking at YouTube going, this is a way to get the next generation audiences to tune into wherever NBC yeah, and The Tonight Show goes. That's true. Huh? I don't think that they know specifically um, if what the the life expectancy or, or tenure of, of um, linear television is going to be. But they know that they want to continue being a player in whatever medium. However we do it. And so they know right now, well, where are kids, millennials, et cetera, accessible and and constantly viewing and sharing well yeah. youtube so i think they made a conscious decision to say look we have to be a strong element here and we're positioned to because on a nightly basis we get a-list stars yeah and we're going to put them in different situations and we're going to play to jimmy's strengths which is to have fun and goof around and all that sort of stuff and there's a big audience that really enjoys that because it's very different oh yeah and there's obviously obviously an audience i think more of an older audience sometimes that'll go well i miss leno I want the I want this type of right. tease, um, but he you know despite all that I think Fallon's been extremely successive, successful, and I think Colbert um, even when he was before you know I watched some of his YouTube stuff when he was announcing his YouTube channel, yeah I think they they're going to follow suit. I'd be surprised if they didn't. It's amazing how internet based this is. I mean it's almost like every segment now, especially with Fallon, he turns three of them. So he's creating three little products a, a night. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and it's it's out there where my kids are watching him over and over. Nobody did that with Johnny. We couldn't. You watched right. Johnny Carson. Right. And, and then you just and only could talk about you it. You talked the next about day. it the next That's day. That's all you could do. And then maybe a rerun when it came back once a year. They might sure. rerun it when he was out or something. But it's it's got to put a lot of pressure on you. I mean, I guess it's exciting because you get to go be creative, but you also <laughs> you kind of you live or die now. Sure. By you're not going to get a contract and just let it run on NBC forever. No, no. So I I think that's also what's going to be really great for um, the medium of television or just just media in general is that, you know, hopefully that that the the best um, content will continually surface to the top and not just, well, this is my brother. This is my best friend. This will work. This will work. And it, it garners enough audience because we don't have enough competition this you know, minor monopoly that they kind of used to have. Do you, do you sense, I guess, is there just going to be a day where I can make my own bundle? If I want Hulu and Netflix and ESPN and BYU broadcasting, I'll just kind of go down a checklist. How it, am I going to order it, my stuff? It all, it all depends. Is that what you want? I don't know, because that could be expensive. It all depends. I mean, you know, ESPN wants a lot of money. Because again, at, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be this idea of supply and demand. That if you're going to say, hey, look, I want to unbundle because I'm tired of Comcast. And yeah. I, and at some point, USA will say, well, you can get us in the Comcast bundle or you can get us in the USA bundle and we'll be $2. Because for them, again, it's a money situation because how much money are they getting from you through That's Comcast? True. That's true. And if they can just charge you 75 cents a month or a dollar a month, maybe they're only getting that from Comcast for your sub. Um, then there's going to be a model where yeah. they, you're going to start seeing uh, cable channels start to disintegrate potentially outside of that. Again, if there's support for it. And I think those early adapters might have more success than the late. Yeah, I, I guess it's going to be – but for us old-timers – us forty-year-olds that are older, we need we need Apple TV. We need because this idea eventually it's just going to be wireless, right? It's all Wi-Fi, yep. just downloadable. Yeah, watch. I, I think that'll probably be that's definitely a, a direction everything could go. You know, Apple's got a big announcement today with their new Apple that's TV, right. which I think will open up their API to allow other people to create apps specifically for the Apple TV. That's my hope, at least, yeah. um, including for our own app. That'd be great that we can natively have a BYU TV app on the Apple TV. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for other developers to kind of do the same. And I think you'll start to see people start to experiment. By no, I mean, I think that's what it'll be. It'll be the lone wolf yeah. who, if it's FX or Comedy Central or somebody's going to take a leap and say, okay, look, let's test this because right now it's we can see the writing on the wall that if we don't adapt today in five years, You're we might be so irrelevant behind. because so there's so many cable out- outlets. There's so many, you know, there's over 300 new original series coming out a year. How do, cool. you, how do you get through the noise if you're not going to start taking the risk? Yeah. What do you do? I mean, as because you have to sit down and still creatively produce an entire year of shows. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you, are you looking at where do you get your guidance? Because if the future's unchanged, it's changing. You have no idea what it's going to be. Yeah. Do you, how do you know what to do this next season? For the Studio C? Yeah. Um, do you just kind of go with what's working? Uh, you know, a little bit, you know, because we're not trying to entertain people in five years. Yeah. That'll take care of itself. We're trying to learn what we can from everything we're doing currently to see how people respond to a sketch that we release on a, you know, we, we, we're releasing sketches every Monday, Wednesday, Friday up on YouTube. And we're actively involved with engaging our audience, commenting with our audience, seeing what they respond to yeah. and how and why. Um, everything from a 
characters to if we should bring them back or not or other parodies we may or may not do. How do they respond to us doing a parody about, you know, Jurassic World and a parody about this? What are they – who responds to what and how? And so we're always definitely experimenting to see what our core audience likes, what our maybe outlier audience likes, what media that would pay attention to us likes. So we can make sure that we kind of hit as much as we can at the right frequency. And and I guess it's just learning. Absolutely, it's yeah. flying. It's but you have to learn to fly while flying. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't. Yeah. You don't even get a break to stop and try it. No, no. You, I mean, now now you're in the air and flying. What? Uh, so any anything you want to anything coming up? Anything we need to pay attention to when it comes to either Studio C or BYU TV? You know, for Studio C specifically, we, we just launched a new season on Monday night um, with uh, season six. We have new sketches coming out. On a three a week every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at four p.m. Mountain on our YouTube channel. So we're you know we're tr- really trying to incentivize people to subscribe so they don't miss. And we also you know as soon as we release a video up on YouTube, we want to give people a unique experience to sit and chat with the star oh, of that that's sketch. Cool. Yeah. So we incentivize people to say, hey, as soon as a new video is up, if you're subscribed, you'll get dinged, you'll get a ping. Um, so that we'll be jumping on and we yeah. want to engage with you. So make sure you subscribe. And I bet the kids love that. The youth love that. Oh, yeah. My, my teens are in it's, – it's cool because you're, you're actually able to now relate to them about something you just put <laughs> out there. Even though you shot it probably three months ago. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Jared Shores, you're the man. Uh, everybody Thanks. go check out Studio C. Go to YouTube. It's up there. Plus BYU Television. You can get it everywhere. This, uh, this is fun. I, I'm excited to see – what this new year is going to bring you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Keep up the great work. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. Uh, our, go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what Spencer and Jerem have got cooking for your uh, top of the hour show. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Very magical moment. I'm going to quiz my guys downstairs from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, Jerem. Hello, Spencer. What's up? How are Spencer you, kids? We'll be here in a second. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Jerem. Yeah. Did you hear that? Did you hear that play right there? Matt Bellini for the touchdown. Um. Yeah. How did you know that? Because I heard the words Matt Bellini touchdown. Oh. I didn't know. I couldn't hear that. You're just that good. I'm hearing a lot of things in my ear. It's all good. Are you? Like, like an echo of myself. Uh, as well. Spencer is uh, running down the hall after getting waxed. He'll be there in a minute. Hey, uh, what uh, what's going? Did you hear who I had on my show today? Yeah, I'm sure you did. Tanner Mangum's mother. No, that's later. Doctor Craig Manning. Oh, Doctor Craig Manning. Yeah, the sports psychologist. Yes, and we talked about how he's working with all of these. Great athletes, and uh, we talked about Tanner Mangum's head strength. He's got a, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Absolutely, I talked to him Monday in his first extended sit down interview. The dude is poised. He's mature. Mm. He turned twenty two yesterday. That's I was so really young. impressed yeah. by his level headedness about all of this because this could go to anyone's head, let oh. alone someone so young. Yeah. And now he has his first start. The kid from Eagle against Boise State. Oh. Going in home. The Boise area, if you're yeah. familiar. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a big deal. They're ranked. 
BYU fans expect him to dominate. In fact, that's our uh, trending topic today. We'll discuss what are the expectations for Tanner Mangum. Yeah, it, it does. He's in trouble. Spencer's here now. Hello, Matt. Hey, Spence. How are you, brother? I am good. Hey, well, Wait, he's in trouble. Well, because here's why: it's BYU football, and he's a quarterback, mm-hmm. and he's 22 years old, and this is his second game. It's, it's a big deal. It's a challenge. I, I mean, to a degree, I think we need to pump the brakes on the expectations. I do too. We're going to look down. at and show you what true freshmen and retro, just freshmen have done historically at BYU. As, That's as a great idea. There's a learning curve for Let's every be fair single to one. Tanner Mangum. Yes, give him a few games. Give him a year, maybe. Seriously. Yes, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be those classic freshman moments where you're like, ah, that's just one of those things that young guys think that they can do, but it's not high school anymore. And Tanner, look, I I know that he is compared to the rest of true freshman quarterbacks, he's different because he's a return missionary and he gray shirted at BYU. But still, this is his first full game. You have to be patient. Yeah. But, boy, wouldn't it be fun to beat Boise in his hometown? Absolutely. With a and lot of his friends. I won't be surprised if BYU wins yeah, and no. that he plays well. I, th- I think he's that good. But we need to allow a learning curve or the expectation will be way too high. And you don't want to stunt a guy no. at the very beginning like this because he could be a four-year starter. This reminds me of when I was a freshman in high school and I, I went after, the, <laughs> I went after the, the varsity cheerleader. Yeah. And, you know, it was just – was just, That was, was your Hail Mary. That was my Hail Mary. And her name was Mary. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it just didn't go well. Yeah. It was ugly. I mean, police were called. Wow. I got stuff. Let's get after. Let's chat in the yeah. break room. No, I'll show one. you a video. Show me a video. Yeah, I got stuffed in a toilet. It was bad. I have a feeling that none of these details are actually true. That's true. Hey, guess what today is, by the way? What is today's today? Wednesday? Not fitting for you guys, but it's Wonderful Weirdos Day. Yeah, that has nothing to do with us. Nope. You guys are wonderful. That's the hope. Not weirdos. Wonderful weirdos. Yeah, day? today's the day that we celebrate not being normal or average because those are that's just average and normal. We want things that are weird. People that are weird dress weird, act weird. That's now called hipster. It's oh, just oh, branded is that, differently. I'll check. I'll clean that up. Wonderful hipster day. A hundred days to Star Wars, by the way. I'm sorry. Speaking of wonderful weirdos. So if it's wonderful weirdos day, what's that guy's name? Gary. Oh man, I can't think of his last name. Super strange actor. He does like the uh, Gary. Uh, yeah, he he does the. I think he does satellite commercials now. Busey, Gary Busey, Gary Busey. Gary yeah. Busey loves this holiday. <laughs> he is a wonderful weirdo, isn't he? <laughs> you guys, um, I, I uh, I've been watching your show every day. No, I do. I go in my office and I turn on your show. And wow. you know what's interesting? Nobody comes in and bugs me when your show's on. Hmm. I'm doing it every day. Either everyone's not watching or they're all. I think, they're, I think they think I'm doing like official work. But I'm really just. You always are. I'm just By ta- the way, did you watch Inside BYU Football? Yes. It's fantastic. It's, it is fantastic. Did you it, cry? I did. I didn't cry, but I, I got choked up. That's tough to watch, huh? Yeah. There's a scene with Mitch Matthews after the game, and he doesn't know that Taysom Hill is out for the year. Yes. They're best friends. Oh, I didn't know and they were very we, best friends. We see that moment. Ah, wow. We see that moment, and it is yeah. emotional. A lot, of, a lot of people tweeted at me that they cried. No, totally. They it. Literally cried. No, they should. That is, that is a tragedy. 
In fact, and that's one of the things that Dr. Craig Manning said. It's a tragedy. And he's he's a he's a great kid. He'll be fine, but and his head's in the right place, so he'll he'll make the right decision. Taysom will, but we gotta let him make the decision. Mm. It's a tough decision. I so, I don't blame him for anything oh, he does. Yeah, I think I just wanna move on. Take Emily, go to grad school, be out go of here. Go to grad school at Michigan and play a year. How about that? <laughs> go play for Harbaugh, man. Go, I wouldn't blame him. In fact, I'd be a huge Michigan fan if Absolutely. he were the quarterback. Oh, man. I didn't even think of that, you guys. He could that, do it. That phone call is going to happen. I bet you. Have, don't you think others will call? Absolutely. We might, talked about this yesterday. There are probably crazy. 40 coaches that are like, hey, it might have I'll already take happened. my chances. I don't care that you've had injuries. Come and be a graduate transfer. Uh-huh. Well, how but, cool, though, to get a great degree, too. Oh, that'd be great. Top of it. You guys never ends with you, does it? You're still doing your show, though, right? Every luckily, day. Luckily, BYU Sports, there's enough there to uh, discuss all year round. I know. Especially September hey, 9th. Uh, women lost to Stanford. Not a big deal, though, because Stanford's number two. I know. And BYU went from nine to five they in the rankings despite ah, losing. See, so that's a good loss right there. They play Thursday night tomorrow on BYU TV at 9 Eastern against Utah State. Do you think you could take on uh, one of the soccer team, female soccer members? In what? In soccer, one-on-one. No, no. no. They're I know. 80 times they would kill you. Plus, they've learned to pull hair and throw you down to the ground. Oh, no, that's, hey, no, that's hey, New Mexico. That's Liz, New Mexico. Liz Lambert is that player's name. Oh, that, that's who. But it, she was a BYU Cougar that got thrown down, right? Two Multiple. Cassidy Shumway and Carly Payne. Man, that's dirty now play. Now Dirt? The, oh, really? One of the girls, one of the girls that, whose hair got pulled down yeah. is Tom Hummel's daughter-in-law. Uh, daughter-in-law, no. The athletic Ooh, director. that's, yeah, that's, you tick off him. Yeah, I remember that day. He's like the Don. He He's like the Don Shaline. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Okay, well, guys, keep up the great work. And, and everybody, you've got 10 minutes, nine minutes away. BYU Sports Nation is going to change your life. Like Tanner Mangum, we are ready. It's like, like Tanner, Tanner Mangum, you're going to throw it deep and sell it cheap. <laughs> Put <laughs> that on a meme. Tanner Mangum and on the rhymes uh, of awesomeness. <laughs> Thanks, gentlemen. Have a great show. <laughs> Love you. Knock them dead. Love you too, son. Um, that's, uh, that's it. Throw them deep and sell them cheap. Put that on a meme. Would you get that on a meme, Ben? I'm on it. Okay. I want that on a meme. We'll be memeing, we'll be memeing that out. (laughs) Crazy stuff. I got to tell you about a story. By the way, today again, remember, is Teddy Bear Day and Wonderful Weirdos Day. And I got to tell you about this crazy cuckoo millionaire. So if you had if you had millions of dollars, let's say six million dollars, what would you do with it? What what where would what would you do with your six million dollars? Well, a late Manhattan entrepreneur who pioneered direct mailing with her rich list left one hundred thousand dollars to her thirty-two cockatiels. Total lightweight, stupid, 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 very stupid. You can't be just boom, boom. Total control. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. You know what that is. This is Donald you Trump. Know the little bing, bing, bing. Bong, bong. I love you very much. Cuckoo. Donald Trump going cuckoo. By the way, he's also a Manhattan entrepreneur. $100,000 went to 32 cockatiels with nitpicky instructions on how to care for the birds. Leslie Ann Mandel, uh, who was married to Arthur Herzog, author of the sci-fi thriller The Swarm, 
named her stepson Matthew Herzog as a trustee of the pet fund. Her will lovingly lists each of the birds. I'm only going to name a few of them. Weedy, Port, Blackie, Zippy, Tara, Zara, Shasha, Pigeon, Victory, Allie, Dart, Cubby. By the way, if you're looking for names for your kids, here's just a few more. Baby, Ruthie, Pumpkin, Tattoo. Hold on. Slow down. Mm -hmm. You writing these down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tundra, Tantalia, Eva, Cody, Avis, Dragon, Dragon. Those are all the names of the birds. And she asked that the birds continue to live in the aviary in their $4 million East Hampton property. As an alternative, they can be moved to a protected place of similar size and dimension, made of the similar materials without a cage, for the rest of their natural lives, the will says. Mandel adds explicit instructions for their weekly maintenance. It is my wish that the birds be fed and the building cleaned each Monday and Thursday, and their food shall be purchased from Avi Cakes, Carrots, Water, and Popcorn. I mean, honestly, Ben, she's taking better care of the birds than we take care of you. I know. I noticed that. It's sad. <clears throat> Almost, I mean, I'd like a couple of crumbs now and then, but... I'll give you, I'll give you an Avi Cake. I don't even know what one is, but I'll get you one. Uh, Almost as an afterthought, though, Mandel says that the cockatiels should share their $100,000 trust with her rescue dog, Frosty, and her cat, Kiki. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, take care of the dog and the cat, too. That's not going to happen. She obviously favors the birds. She provides no directions for their care of the dog and the cat, but says the trustee can use their judgment and discretion on how to spend the money on them. Interestingly, while Mandel was meticulously planning for her pets' lives after her death, she wasn't careful about the rest of the $5.3 million fortune and how it would be spent. She didn't care. So apparently, cuckoo. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Crazy, huh? Well, that's the show, my friends. As you know, we always like to wrap the show up with a uh, one of our Townsend's Heroes stories. And today's hero is a little girl with cancer, who gets a special wish from her iron workers. Listen up. A pair of iron workers found a unique, heartwarming way to reach out to a little girl fighting cancer in isolation on the ninth floor of the St. Louis Children's Hospital. According to ABC News reports, two-year-old Vivian Keith, who was diagnosed with leukemia in February, has spent the month since then watching construction workers outside her window. Her mother, Ginger, tells uh, KSDK that Vivian would wave at the workers as a way to help her forget about the chemotherapy she was undergoing. She was waving at us and making faces, iron worker Greg Combs tells ABC. She was sweet and made us smile. Last month, Combs and co-worker Travis Barnes wrote, Get Well Soon on a metal beam outside Vivian's window. And you can, uh, we'll be linking those stories at Dr. Matt Tweets. Combs says that he and Barnes left a note there to cheer up Vivian and other kids in the hospital. I thought it was amazing and the coolest thing ever, Ginger tells ABC. I just thought it was really sweet that they would take the time to do that for me. Cool stuff, folks. Those are the heroes right there. Iron workers um, just doing what they can to help a, a little girl feel better through chemotherapy. Thanks for the, uh, being with us, folks. That's the show. You can find us on on. Uh, Twitter. You can find us at Dr. Matt Tweets. You can also look us up on podcast. 
and uh, go to BYU Radio. We're everywhere, folks. You can also check us out on our Facebook page. Just search for Matt Townsend. We're out of here. Till tomorrow, folks. Thanks. Take care of each other. Love the people that are around you and make it a great one. Until tomorrow, take care.